Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 111. That's all ones. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris. He's banned on the App Store Raygun. Chris, <laughs> how are you today? That's, it's, a, it's kind of another Groundhog's Day scenario, you know? Sure. You know, you wake up and uh, it's the same yes. every single day. <laughs> yes, yes. How is... Uh, I, I meant to ask you how your roommate Sweeney's doing because doesn't he work in in like retail or something or in a shop he worked at he worked at Starbucks for a little bit right okay but uh he quit like pretty much the second this started because they were making him they were making him work and they were kind of ignoring uh a lot of the rules so to speak so he was like uh so he was like yeah I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna go in yeah I don't, I don't blame it so what is he doing now I've been is he is he hanging in there He's uh, doing Twitch. Oh, cool. I, did, I had no idea. Good for yeah, him. Yeah, and he's doing pretty well on Twitch. I told him to do that years ago, but <laughs> it took the world shutting down for him to take my advice. Well, it's a better time than ever to jump on there and do your thing. He was on my mind because he tweeted me a few days ago when I tweeted out a picture of Rush, my dog, that he felt like he knew this dog somewhere. Why did he know this dog from somewhere? And I still don't really know how to answer. <laughs> The, like the question. So I just ignored it. 
<laughs> he's insane. He doesn't know how to use Twitter yet. Yeah, he's learning. <laughs> yeah. He's like my mom. So, uh, well, I'm glad you're doing well. It, it seems, you know, here in Central Virginia, it's not like I ever really go anywhere, but I don't feel like it's really that different for a lot of people. I feel like people are just going everywhere and doing anything they want. Yeah. I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm crazy, but no, nah, I, mean, I feel like that's what's happening here. That's probably that makes a decent amount of sense that that would happen. Yeah, in, I guess in those here. kinds of places where people aren't really coming into contact with a lot of people from elsewhere, you know. But in port cities like places like New York or Los Angeles, where and on any given day in Los Angeles, you'll run into somebody and you're like, "Oh, where are you from? Oh, you know, I just came from the Czech Republic," <laughs> or like, and it's like, "What?" <laughs> So I assume oh, it's probably boy. a lot safer to just kind of fuck around in places that are a lot low, lower in traffic. Yeah, it's it's funny, too, because I was walking around my neighborhood, walking the dog yesterday, like late last night. I saw this woman and her family going into their car. They have a fence, like a new fence around there, like because the, like the neighborhood's new. So a lot of people haven't gotten their fences built like the little accoutrements. And I'm having mine built like erected next week, mm-hmm. although I ordered it back in early July. So I stopped and I asked her, well, I was just walking by and I'm like, hey, is your fence a five foot fence? That's like all I asked her. She was really nice, but she walked up to me and shook my hand when I introduced myself. Hmm. And I was like, hmm. No, I shook her <laughs> hand. I mean, it's just it's just a I'm yeah. not going to not shake her hand. Right. It's like my name, one of my neighbors and stuff. But I thought that that was uh, interesting, too, because I haven't had anyone like offer me their hand like that in, yeah. in some time in marriage. In marriage, especially. No one's ever offered me their hand in marriage. So I don't know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> Chris, this is a Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. We do it each and every week. You can get it three days early and ad free by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins last stand like just about 10,000 of you do. So we thank you so much for your kindness, generosity and support. Supporting us over there also gets you the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to the show and get that early access and get the Q&A that we do each month and name in the credits and all of this. And of course, Sacred Symbols Plus, which is only for patrons, our weekly supplemental show. Last week, I did a solo mailbag, which people seem to really enjoy. I don't know what the hell we're going to do this week. We'll figure it out. Yeah. When the time comes, lots to talk about. Some people have been submitting interesting ideas about maybe doing like end of generation lists and all of that, but mm. I don't think it's time. I don't think it's time for that yet. Yeah, not yet. Soon. There's, still, there's still stuff that uh, hasn't come out yet for this generation. And also, because people even want us to do stuff just on the exclusives, all the exclusives are basically out. But I need to I need time to think and marinate. I, I'm not in any rush to do that stuff yet. Yeah. Let's let it all breathe. We don't even know when PS5 is coming out. So, <laughs> yeah, everyone slow down. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Slow now, let's get into roll. Please slow down. Please slow down. I'm like one of those old people in a neighborhood that like, you know, runs out on the road when someone's going too fast and like do, does the slow down <laughs> hand signal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Classic. That's a that's a good my uh, brother's best friend, PJ. I was in a car with him on, a, on in Long Island once and a guy came out and did that and he just sped up as the guy came out and went even faster. So that's always comes into my mind. Why do people do that? Why do people feel like they have all this control over the neighborhood uh, that they live in? Just worry about yourself. I think whenever you're in the cockpit of anything, you know, like whenever you're like in a car or like in a vehicle, you just kind of feel inherently like, oh, yeah. No, 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 no. You're misunderstanding. I'm saying why do people in the neighborhoods feel like they can tell other people driving on the street? Like they feel like they have a lot of control. Like they can run out and tell people to slow down like they're the police officers. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. That's that's insane. I don't understand that at all. Everyone should mind their own business. How's that? 
Everyone mind your own business. Now, let's see here, Chris. We have some chicanery to get through in the beginning, mm-hmm. some corrections and notes, etc. Gabe wrote into us on Patreon. He has an interesting correction. Now, we, we've caught ourselves doing this. I'm still going to do it because I'm sure I'm still not sure what the real name of the game is, but he says, Hi, Colony Chris. For several episodes, you have been calling the new Assassin's Creed game Ragnarok when it's actually called Valhalla. I initially passed this off as a slip of the tongue, but it's been going on for so long with no acknowledgement. Anyway, keep slaying. I feel like we've acknowledged it. I feel like we've mentioned it a couple because I definitely I definitely I know I've never called it Ragnarok because I just kind of have it in my head as Valhalla. I remember that Ragnarok was like the code name for it or like what the Mm. rumored name was for it. But I I remember Valhalla specifically because it's one of my favorite uh, multiplayer maps in like other video games. And also there's like, I don't know, Valhalla is just such a cool word. Yeah, it's heaven, isn't it? Yeah, it's like uh, it's like Viking heaven where you go and you right. just fight over and over again and you just respawn, I guess. Uh, I don't really know how Viking heaven works. Yeah, I think but, that's how I understand it from the sh- the show Vikings. Yeah. Is that they they go and they have like a feast every night and then they and then they battle. Fight. Dur- yeah. And then they fight again and then they bet it's it's completely bonkers. But uh, sure, whatever, whatever you believe in is fine. Yeah, so I guess I have been calling it Ragnarok. I have no idea. I guess Chris is saying that was the the code name of the game. It is a slip of the tongue on my part. I'll probably keep doing it. The fact, the funny thing is, is that like fifty thousand plus people listen to this show, and I don't <laughs> think anyone wrote in about this except for Gabe. So I don't think anyone knows what the real name of the game is, which is interesting. Well, it's an Assassin's Creed game for sure. Yeah, no At doubt about least. it. It's Assassin's Creed Black Flag Two. All right. Let's see here. What else? Oh, Ryan Ripley has a correction. He says, hey, bro, Chachos, quick co- correction from last week in regards to microtransactions in first party Sony published games. The one that comes to mind for me is MLB The Show. Their virtual currency known as stubs can be earned in game, but can also be purchased from the PSN. They are used to purchase various cosmetic and attribute upgrades for created players and also for collecting player cards for use in Diamond Dynasty mode. Currently, the smallest package of 1000 stubs is $1.49 Canadian with the largest sum 150,000 subs selling for stubs selling for $133.49 Canadian. Thanks for all you two do and have a pleasant day. Thank you, Ryan. So that must be what a dollar and a hundred dollars USD. You would assume something of this nature. Yeah. And uh, OK, well, thank you, Ryan. Yeah, because what, what we had said last week and I, I guess I really hadn't thought of the show. So that is a good correction is that there had been no first party games that use microtransactions to this extent. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, the Uncharted games have them a little bit and stuff, but this is a good one, Ryan. So thank you for uh, for writing in. Now, Big Artie has a question that's going to set Chris off, but obviously we have to talk about these things. Yeah. <laughs> Big Artie says Halo, Halo delayed until 2021 and Ubisoft still playing games with Sam Fisher, but not the actual game like playing games with our hearts. I'm sorry, Chris. So we have a couple of things here to jump into that are very Chris centric. Let's start with Halo Infinite getting delayed to 2021 to some mystical time of 2021. How, I know that it's not a PlayStation game, but Chris is such a Halo fan. I got to ask what you think of the delay and and how you feel about the prospects for the game now. Uh, I'm happy about it. I, I kind of called it in like January. I have a tweet all the way from January being like, we haven't seen much of this. It's getting delayed. <laughs> and like everybody was like, no, Chris, come on. You're just being impatient. And uh, I've, I've been having a good time just kind of you know, laughing at all the responses that I was totally, totally right about. Chris was right. Do you just F5 that tweet sometimes? And yeah, yeah, no, I have it printed out. I'm going to get it framed. Nice. (laughs) Like a big, long list, a big, like weird. uh, You know how some people put their monitors like uh, sideways to have a a tall monitor? It's going to be like that, but on my wall. 
of all the tweets that I was right about. I did that at IGN. I had one of those at IGN for my mail. Yeah. And that was just that was just on my that was just, my mail was just on that at all times. But yeah, no, I'm I'm happy about the delay. I'm totally fine with it. Uh, it's probably it's not great for Xbox, but I don't really care. Uh, I just want the game to be good. So a delayed game. I, I'm never going to have a problem with a delayed game. I think every time a game has been delayed uh, on this show, I've always been like, yeah, good. You know, I had somebody weirdly uh, talking to me on Twitter about like how like your bias is showing because if this was a PlayStation game, you would have you would have been doom and gloom about it. And I'm like, when, <laughs> when have I, when have I ever? Yeah, you don't seem to. I mean, neither of us really seem to ever be too upset when a game's delayed. I, for me, I don't mind delays because there are just so many games to play. That yeah, you can delay everything forever, and I'm probably yeah. Not I, even I mean, really there's care. there's a difference between being like bummed out that you won't get to play it soon and like thinking that it's the worst thing ever. You know. Like, obviously, I would have liked to play a game that I'm looking forward to sooner rather than later. But, like, very rarely am I going to be like, oh, a delay. That's a bad sign. I, now, to, the thing you said, I mean, again, this isn't really topical for our show. But just to throw it out there, you said about it, how it is for Xbox. It can be bad for Xbox. I think it's catastrophic for uh, Xbox Series X. I had said this on Twitter. I think that it can't be understated how big of a deal this delay is for the console. And I think they should delay the console's release until the game's ready. Now, people will remember that Nintendo kind of played around with the Switch's release date based on when Zelda would be ready. And that ended up being a pretty wise move, all things told. That's still considered maybe the best Switch game and certainly sold many millions of copies. Mm -hmm. I was looking at the Xbox Wire write-up that was announced when 343 announced the delay. Obviously, Microsoft... They reiterated that the console is coming out this fall, which I think is stupid. And I was looking at the games that are launching with it. And I'm like, There's no reason to even buy this console. Now, people had were, were throwing back at me. Well, why would you buy PlayStation 5? And, and my answer to that is, I don't really know. I mean, Spider-Man looks pretty cool. There are going to be cool games on there, but I don't feel like we really need the PS5 either. Yeah. So it really goes both ways. But with this console, I really feel like delaying it until Halo is ready is the wise move. It lets you breathe. And also the economy's kind of in the shitter. I'm going to keep beating that drum that asking people to pay $500 for a console is a, is a big heavy lift, especially when there's no Halo. Well, I, I, I would agree under most circumstances, but this is also a circumstance where it's like, we don't know if this is really going to get better at all. So like you can either get out while people are still kind of in the beginning stages of kind of stumbling down this pandemic, or you can put it out in like March when Halo is ready, when no one has any money, you know, like it's, it's kind of, you're, you're kind of damned if you do damned if you don't like, because you just don't know how things are going to turn out. So I think they're, I think both Sony and Microsoft are kind of at this point where they're like, we should probably just get out as soon as we can before this gets even worse because we want at least our machine out there and our platform out there. So that way when shit really does hit the fan, people can like maybe afford, I don't know, smaller, like, Hey, you know, like I'll buy DLC for Fortnite on PlayStation five or, or whatever the hell DLC for whatever, whatever free games that they already own or whatever games that they already own on their platforms stores uh, and keep their platforms relevant going into this kind of downturn because we know there's going to be a downturn. Like, I think everybody knows in the back of their minds that we're not coming out of this great. No, I think it's going to take some time. It seems to be 
more. I think a lot of the pain has been mitigated here in the states, especially because of all the money coming from the government, which is going to dry up one way or the other. I mean, I, they're not going to they're not drying it up yet, I guess, but it's it's going to dry up. So I, I don't know. To me, especially in the states, releasing your console in March, April, May is is interesting just because that's around the time that you would get your tax rebate. So there is that. But obviously, they have to have a more global focus. But I just think. I think they're in a lot of trouble, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't I don't think there's any compelling reason to have an Xbox now this fall. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying that you should buy a PlayStation 5. I'm going to. I'm looking forward to it. But Miles Morales is a uh, 100 times more than Microsoft's going to have on the Xbox this fall. Yeah. And I, I just think that it's uh, when I saw that, I was not so worried about Halo as a game. It's going to do well when it comes out. People are going to enjoy it on multiple platforms. But I think it opens up a lot of interesting intrigue, palace intrigue on if a or a when it's going to come out, because I think a lot of people are assuming March. But what if it's delayed until the fall or something? I I said that I would I would enjoy a fall. I'll take another year. Honestly, I don't care. There's so much shit. There's so much shit that's coming out that I know cyberpunk's going to be like a huge time sink. I know, like, I I feel like the next year is just going to be so jam packed full of shit that I'm like, all right, listen. Like I, I would assume March is probably the 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 place that it's going to fall, um, which would be pretty unusual for a, a Halo title. I don't think they've ever released in in spring, but I think, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to like a fall, a fall launch for the game. That would actually line up perfectly with the twentieth anniversary of the series as a whole. I think it'd be actually kind of smart. But it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, know. it well, it begs the question. And I said, didn't I say this like a week or two ago? I think on Sacred Symbols Plus that it really begs the question if three four three is really up to this. I mean, this is kind of this is kind of insane. This is a marquee launch game, and I don't understand how. Well, I don't understand what Microsoft's doing. Like they're they're mismanaging their portfolio of games. Like there's there's just really nothing coming to the console that we even know about. I don't know what they're doing. It's you because know, they rely <laughs> really heavily on contractors. I feel like. They rely really heavily on like contract work because they're 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 a tech company. You know, they're not like really a games company, really like they like they have games and they make games and they make game consoles. But first and foremost, they're like they make technology and they make software and a lot of their teams kind of run solely based on contract work and freelance work. And like I know a lot of people who have uh, worked at 343 and at, you know, at uh and he turned 10. I know a lot of people who just like go in and they get out and it's like you, they, it doesn't seem like there's a real solid team, you know, for any of the ones that I'm super familiar with. I think that really causes problems because it makes your entire portfolio really unstable and unpredictable. And, you know, just I mean, I have <laughs> I, I have footage. I have footage of Halo Infinite on my phone right now from people who <laughs> who have just sent it to me because they're like, dude, look at this. It's they've got a really they don't have a tight lock on what's going on. Like it's not good. It's not good. And I think uh, they're they're winning the services battle, as we've said, but I'm more bearish on Microsoft now than I've been in a while, I think, mm-hmm. after the Halo news, because it's and it, I got to say, man, I don't I, I we're getting so caught up on this on this PlayStation podcast, but. I really like Phil Spencer. He's a nice guy. I think that he turned things around with the Xbox one and has the right idea. But I'm wondering now if this is really the guy for the job, because. If I if I'm an Xbox fan, I'm looking at this situation and being like, we're we're going to get our asses kicked, I think now in at launch because we just don't have any games 
to show, you know, like any exclusive games. And I'm not again, I think people are conflating when I when I talk down on Series X or talk up PS5 and vice versa, that it means the exact opposite for the other. But I don't think that I just think with Microsoft and with Xbox Series X, I'm just surprised that they have nothing ready to go. And I was surprised by how bad Halo looked. I said that when we talked about it on the show a couple of weeks ago. I think I don't think it looks good. I think it looks fun and that's very important, but it certainly doesn't look like anything more than an Xbox 360 game. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you're and when you're going against a, a game that looks like Ratchet or a game that looks like Spider-Man or whatever, Demon Souls, I think you got to step your game up. And this is, of course, the fallacy of the of the cross gen. And that was the other thing I was going to say is I wonder if they actually end up getting this thing off of Xbox One. Yeah, and, I wouldn't be yeah. I wouldn't be annoyed. I don't think I'd be bothered by that at all. I was just more annoyed with the Sam Fisher thing, honestly. Oh, yeah, we were going to we were going to segue into that next. So let's talk about that. Ubisoft ta- uh, is bringing Sam Fisher, of course, the protagonist of Splinter Cell to Rainbow Six Siege, which came out in 2015. This is the second time in a week that we've heard of Ubisoft doing something with Splinter Cell that is not a new game. I got to say, Chris, I mean, I thought about you instantly. We got a lot of letters about this towards you, but. <laughs> uh, I feel like they, they're going to announce a new Splinter Cell game in September. I think I think it's pretty obvious at this point. I, I wouldn't look at this and say and think this is bad at this point. I think it's pretty obvious that they're setting up a new game. Don't you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was pretty obvious a couple of years ago when they when they uh, when they started teasing Splinter Cell in like different in various games. And uh, I'm at the point where I'm like, you know, no game, no hype, you know, where it's like, listen, well, that makes sense. If you've got. If you got something to show, then I'll be happy. But I'm not going to take all these cheeky little winks and nods as anything more than, quite frankly, irritating. Because there hasn't really... The thing that makes me, like, really uncertain about it is because there's been a lot of leaks about, like, Ubisoft titles. Like, we heard about Assassin's Creed, like, well well before. We heard about Watch Dogs well before. And, like, the fact that there's no leaks about a Splinter Cell game that I can remember, that I can recall makes me just kind of assume that, like, I, I genuinely don't think there is going to be a new Splinter Cell game. I think what they're doing is they're trying to leverage the IP in games that they think that they can monetize uh, more consistently. Because I, th- I think they genuinely think, like, hey, you know, we can't make a, a single-player stealth game. There's no market for that, even though Hitman is about to make its third game. I genuinely feel like they think that way, because I don't see any clues that this game is on the horizon other than these weird jabs that they've been doing where it's like, hey, here's Sam Fisher that they've been doing for the last like five years, it feels like. But don't you think the Netflix series especially is a a sign? I don't know, man. There's there's going to be a Netflix series for Beyond Good and Evil, too. And I, I oh, that's true. Yeah. You know, like what the hell is it with that game? That game, that's, yeah, a game that's, that's, a good that's a game that's been announced and shown and we still have no idea when it's coming out. Yeah, that game's I mean, I, I still think that game is probably well, maybe it's probably Michelle Ansel is anything he works on is vaporware at this point. So, yeah, but uh, like, we were talking about wild last week, too. So it's the same guy. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think we'll have to see. I think that at Ubisoft forward in September, they're going to announce a Splinter Cell game. I would I would I'll be ha- I will I will hope that we have a Colin is right. Yeah, I mean, I do. I don't have the arcane powers that you do. So if you're not feeling it, then I don't know if yeah. you were feeling it, then I'd be much more confident. But. We'll see how this all goes, but a lot of anti-Chris news this week coming out of the uh, Microsoft camp and the Ubisoft camp, but that's all right. Andrew Duda wrote into us and said, hey, guys, I'm not sure if you'll touch on this in the episode, but with Chris being such a fan, with the delay of Halo Infinite and Xbox stating Series X is coming in November, so we were talking about that on The Wire, what does it mean for Sony? 
Can we expect an answer now on date and price finally? I can't help but to think that by giving the date of November with no specific day, they did so to show that the console itself wasn't also going to be delayed. I agree with that. It was really important for them to do that because otherwise speculation would have run amok. Although I still think it's possible that it's not going to come out. The Xbox Series X is going to come out in November. We'll see. From my perspective, I think Sony's more in the driver's seat than ever now. And there are pretty compelling rumors that they might not say anything more until September, which is which is really crazy. That brings us within 60 or 70 days of the console's launch. And we still don't even really know when it's coming out or what it's going to cost. And I, I think that a lot of this has to do with just waiting to see who's going to go first. But it's not instilling a lot of confidence in me that they're not willing and ready to talk yet. So I, I don't know exactly when we're going to see it. But the other rumor is, is that uh, we might expect a, a more expensive PS5 as opposed to Xbox Series X, which I don't think is that big of a deal. I think it was a big deal with Xbox One and PS4 because Xbox One was $100 more while seemingly being the inferior machine. But all signs point to PS5 having at least more to play, if maybe not more power. So I don't know that the price differential is going to be that big of a deal. But what, what, how do you feel about maybe waiting till September to get these uh, details? I think that's ridiculous. I, I, uh, September is, is way too late. Like that, that does not instill me with any confidence. You know, like I, that seems so imminent. And I, I said like last, I think I, I, either one of the last episodes, I said like, look, if we, if we exit August without a price or release date, like that's, uh, I don't think that's a good sign. I don't think that's good at all. It makes me like kind of assume that they just don't have enough PlayStations made. Almost, you know what I mean? Where it's like it feels like, oh, hey, we can't even we can't lock down a release date because we don't even have enough machines to sell. That seems logical. And it's interesting because it comes on the back of news that they want to increase their output. So if they're not even reaching their output, I think they wanted to make four or five million or something like that by quarter one and. They're going to increase it a few million. I don't, I don't know. To me, it seems like it seems. Well, let me back up. I don't think that I understand fully why they're doing this. I don't yeah. think anyone really does. And that's what I'm most intrigued about at this point is not the price or the release date. It's like, why are you? We know it's going to come out sometime in November. It's going to cost five hundred dollars. I want to know why we're waiting. What is so to your point? Is, is it a manufacturing problem? Are you afraid that everyone is going to get their games locked in in the first and second party? Are third parties complaining? There are some complaints apparently coming out of some dev circles that PS5 is presenting some issues that I've been reading about to, to various developers. Who knows the veracity of those because it really should be the same as PS4 in terms of architecture and all of that. But I don't know. That's what I'm more curious about at this point is like, what are you waiting for? Because by this point, we're recording this in mid-August. By this point in 2013, when PS4 was coming out, we had already known the release date and the price for two months. And it's just... I agree with you. You push it to September, you're getting into that 60 day window. And I'm not even really sure how the semantics and the logistics work of getting pre-orders and then getting them out. To, it just seems like you're making the problem more complicated by waiting. But it's got to be something to do with the price and waiting to see who's going to go first. I mean, it has to be. You know. Do you think that these machines have any chance of being delayed out of this year still at this point in the game, even though we're so late in the year? Yes, I, 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 I do. believe I do believe that. I get the, uh, I get I really that do. feeling more and more as time as as the days go on and like shit like this comes out where it's like oh they might not say anything till September it becomes far more believable to me that something is like really really wrong and really really in need of of more time to really flesh out because and I don't mean to keep tying this back to Halo but I remember 
when be, the reason I called the Halo delay in January is because by that point in the previous game's hype cycle, we had already played, we had already had our hands on a on a beta version of the game for like a month, you know. Whereas like with this new one, we hadn't even seen gameplay of it yet, and it's like something's up. And I I have a feeling of I have a very similar feeling here with with both of these machines where it's like we're in August and we don't know the price, we don't know the release date, even though we all kind of know vaguely what the price and release date would be. So it's weird that they would hide it, you know, like they could have easily just said if they had a, a if they had like a general timetable locked down, they could have easily just said November months ago. But it seems like they just don't. Yeah, I'm skeptical. I mean, I'm definitely I've remained pretty skeptical even and I would imagine that it's possible that we wake up one day and there's one of those PlayStation blog posts with just a paragraph and it says the console is coming out next year or whatever. Yeah, I could. Believe and that. and so I'll be keeping my eye on that. I hope that's not true because I'm I'm intrigued by the new console. But again, I wouldn't like cry any tears if they delayed it because they're again, eight <laughs> yeah. million games, including, of course, Assassin's Creed Ragnarok, which comes out this fall. I thought, it was, I thought that was I thought that was funny. All right. <laughs> did you do that on purpose? Yes, I did. OK, I did good. Do that on purpose. Just a couple more pieces of small news items before we get into some silliness. Just so everyone knows, if you're looking for DualShock 4 controllers for your PS4, Sony wrote a blog post saying that they're bringing back a lot of the old colors, the old color schemes that are expired. So definitely keep an eye out on that on your at your local retailer or online retailer, because there are a lot of cool schemes that have gone out. And uh Horizon Zero Dawn is out on PC via Guerrilla Games and Sony, and it's apparently not running very well on PC hmm. or selling very well on PC from what I can understand. So that is interesting and unexpected in both columns. I think they had something like 50,000 players the first couple of days or whatever, which is uh, on Steam, which I guess is not great considering the pedigree of the game. So I don't know, I don't know uh, where this is all going to shake out, but I don't think they put their, a good foot forward, apparently, with the uh, performance of this game, mm. considering they did it themselves. I heard Death Stranding ran pretty well, I think. Yeah, Death Stranding was published by 505, though. The interesting thing about that yeah, is that they're right. running on the same engine. Oh, so, yeah, that's, that's right. So that's a weird, that's weird. I, if I were a place, and I'm not, but if I were a PlayStation fan that, is upset about these PC releases, I'd be pretty happy that Horizon Zero Dawn's not running very well. Because I don't think that they I don't think they're showing off their best. Mm-hmm. They're not sending us their best. As uh, Donald Trump might say. <laughs> Fucking lunatic that he is. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Derek Wechter wrote into us and on, on Patreon. He says, hey, Castlevania Colin and Crypto Chris. I wonder if he's calling you like a crypto fascist or if he's saying that you're in a cryptocurrency. Oh, I don't know. They could be a Destroy Humans reference, too. Oh, oh, yeah, that probably is what it is. This question is primarily for Mr. Raygun, although it is more of a grievance than it Ooh. is a question. From time to time, the subject of playing normal controls versus inverted controls comes up on the podcast. And Chris seems to somehow think he is better than you, Colin, <laughs> because he plays normal style. In fact, not only does Mr. Raygun condescend, he ridicules those of us who choose to employ the superior play type that is inverted. Week after week, he sniggers, sneers and makes derogatory comments about the inverted player community and I will no longer tolerate it. All I can say is this. Watch your back, you fucking normie. Cheers and love to the both of you. I think that's the first time you've ever gotten a vague death threat. Yeah, vaguely. On the show. Yeah. yeah. On the show, at least. Yeah, Off on the, the show, show, I have like a like a, a truckload. Oh, yeah. I got a cacophony of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No cacophony. Good word. Thank you. 
The uh, yeah. So what do you think of this? Uh look. Even you call it normal style. So like yeah, you know <laughs> like if you're gonna call it normal style and make like a, a specific you know uh you know dis- dissection of like hey you know this is normal and this is inverted and i play inverted then you should not and you shouldn't be surprised when someone who plays normal finds it abnormal that you play that not normal style sure like i think it's it's totally fine there are some games by the way like that i do play like inverted specifically like if there's like a flight sim kind of thing like i, I remember i played inverted on like uh a long time ago on Star Wars Jedi Starfighter, which oh, is wow. like a, like a, like a, I think it was like original Xbox and PS2 game. Uh, and I played inverted for that because it's, it, it makes a little bit more sense to me for some reason, but I feel like most people would, would honestly play a game like that inverted because that's just sort of like how a plane works. But I, I don't know how I feel about just treating like the head of a character in first person like a plane. You know, it's just no, like it's a, totally. That's where it comes from. I think that space. You know? Yeah, I, that's why me playing inverted is so weird because I don't <laughs> play flight simulators. I think I don't think I even played a flight simulator until I was well into the analog era. So I wonder if you would play a flight simulator with normal non. Not I probably would probably I probably run the plane right into the fucking side of the mountain, too. Yeah, but. Yeah, so this is a this is an ongoing battle. Obviously, it came up with Fall Guys because, by the way, that game looks really fun. I'm really actually thinking I'm gonna play that game. Really, That's I didn't a know. I didn't game. know what it, I didn't know what it was. Well, am I describing it right? So, because I was watching a little bit of it, you're basically just trying to remain on platforms that are disappearing, and anyone that touches the platform makes the platform disappear. Right, so. Well, you're trying to just survive. Is that that's what I saw, and I thought I was like, "Well, that looks really fun." I mean, that looks cool. Yeah. So Fall Guys is like uh, I haven't played it yet, but I've seen enough gameplay to kind of get the gist of what it is. It's it's basically this. Um, it's just a lot of people in a single lobby, and you go through progressively more elaborate obstacle courses. Basically, so like there's some where you have to like uh, stay on a bunch of seesaws and like jump across them and get to the end. Uh, and it's like a little the the physics are a little wonky and silly, so it's actually it's kind of difficult. And there's another one where you have to like traverse this kind of like wipeout style obstacle course to get to the top and grab a crown. And then there's other ones where like you have to stay atop platforms that disappear. And there's like a soccer game. It, it's just it's this huge competition, and it basically just eliminates people who uh, don't qualify until there's like one person standing, and then they win. Uh, oh, so it's just this kind of communal. Almost this communal, like, ninja warrior game show kind of thing. Okay, because I, I, oh, interesting, because I saw some people posting videos on Twitter just of the platform disappearing part, and I'm like, this is the game, this looks awesome. Yeah, that's, you know? that's part of it, yeah, that's, that part's... Looks... I, I was like, this, this alone is a nice idea, like, basically just having a vertical pipe, as it were, and a bunch of people stepping on all the platforms and falling slowly <laughs> yeah. down. I'm like, yes, yeah, I mean, that alone is a nice, a nice idea, so... I think I'm going to check it out at some point. We'll get into the game for playing in a moment, but just throwing that out there for yeah. anyone that's in, that's interested it in looks what fun. I'm doing. So, uh, all right, Derek, thank you for writing. And Corey Savas wrote in and said, "Guys, I need your help resolving an argument. When you say turn down the AC, are you increasing or de- decreasing the temperature? This is of vital importance." He says. So, Chris, when you say turn down the AC, are you increasing or decreasing the temperature? This is actually a pretty good question. You you increase the temperature when you turn down the AC turned on the ac see i you increase yes 
That's right. You're well, you're 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 making it less. You're making it less, like because I always hear that in the car. Turn down the AC and you're making it so that you're it's not coming out as much. So that would be increasing the temperature. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah. You're, you're essentially like when you say turn down the AC, what you really mean to say is make the effects of the air conditioner less noticeable <laughs> is essentially you're saying decrease the effect of the air conditioner. Right. You know, turning down the AC literally would mean to like if you took it like literally like some kind of ape, you, you would you would turn down the AC to like, you know, 60 degrees or something and then freeze everybody out of your apartment or out of your car or whatever. Right. But I don't think anybody I'm surprised to hear that somebody would hear that anybody would hear turn down the AC and assume that it means decreasing the temperature, even though I understand grammatically how that might be construed. Right. It I, seems a little pedantic. It seems yeah. it seems impossible that somebody would lack that level of base basic context. See, nothing surprises me anymore. That so. is that's <laughs> that's fair. So I, I can believe it. By the way, I should have said this in the, when we were talking about the y-axis thing. I, I just realized that I didn't re, I'd put these out of order. But uh, Justin McCumber wrote into us and said, my third attempt here with the conversation of inverting y-axis. I have something to admit. My wife and I both invert y. As our kids start playing games, I invert y for them before letting them play. It may be brainwashing. However, if they ever need my help in a game, this allows me to not be worthless. I love that. That Justin is, is uh, uh, Justin is brainwashing his children into playing inverted as if they don't even know the difference. That's brilliant. That is love that. <laughs> that's so terrible. That's like teaching your kid how to walk wrong. Walk then, backwards. Crab yeah, like, walk. like, oh, hey, you have to walk uh, with your feet like splayed open. So you just look like a almost like a <laughs> like a splayed open straw. Like you got to like <laughs> that's so messed up. The, the, your kids are going to like grow up with like a, a tinge of resentment, I feel like. Because they're definitely going to be like made fun of for playing inverted. Well, eventually they'll realize when they're old enough to go into the options and all of that. And they realize that this was actually the thing that you had to set beforehand. They're going to wonder a lot of things about you, Justin. So <laughs> I, I appreciate the effort, though. I think it's great. I, personally, I think it's great. <laughs> That's so wild. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This next one is infuriating. Oh, Yazid Araji wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, I need help solving a debate. I keep getting attacked for saying that the right way to eat a pizza is upside down, cheese down, dough up with occasional bites from the crust. You want the toppings to hit your tongue first so you taste them first, but you don't want to end your meal with a dry bite. So you alternate between the crust and the pizza. What do you think of this? Before you cast your judgment against me, I suggest you try it. And before you say, but the toppings will fall, they shouldn't. 
A well-made pizza at the right temperature has its ingredients blended with the cheese enough that you can eat it upside down, or you can try and fold it just like you would when eating the pizza the normal way. Thanks and keep up the good work. Oh, man. Wow. Wow. I don't know. Are you fucking with me? This can't be a thing anyone does. I've he, seen people do this. Not, oh the, not the not the alternating between the crust, but like yeah, that's I, psychotic too. That, yeah, that's like a whole nother level of that's that's therapy needed for that. But I think I've seen people eat pizza upside down. I have tried it. It makes no goddamn difference. <laughs> there, the pizza tastes the same regardless of what taste what what flavor hits your tongue first because you chew it. <laughs> you like <laughs> this is not like and like i i feel like people don't get it but like I, f- I feel like your whole mouth contributes to the taste of something it's not necessarily just your tongue just because your tongue is the, is the thing with taste buds on it like you, you can taste you you need your whole mouth to taste like i don't understand what do know. you mean by that what I, do you mean by that i mean you can't you can lick a pizza all you want, right? But you're not right. really going to taste the pizza until you chew it. <laughs> Fair enough. You know? Like, Fair enough. Yeah, it, your nose has something to do with it too, right? Yeah, There's something about smell. that. It's, it tastes yeah. is like a collaborative effort, dude. And like the thought that you can't, that, that it tastes any different just because your tongue hits something first is, is just wild. Yeah. It, what are you eating your pizza like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle where you just take one bite of it and swallow it? And so the, <laughs> and so the side down is what hits your tongue. It doesn't, it really does. It's completely nonsense. I, I, I hate that I even read that question. I hope that it gets edited out of the show. <laughs> you see, like, eat, eat however you want, but, like, just know that that's the wrong way. You know? Yeah, it's, as long it's as you know that that's the wrong way, it's fine. It's nuts because then you have to think about the calzone and, like, there's no way to eat a calzone without getting the, the dough first. But does that does that lessen the the power of the calzone you see would would order an inside out calzone that's just essentially a pizza ball with air yeah, it's like a wep- it's like a wet burrito basically <laughs> yeah. yeah basically oh my so, god dude yeah that's i'm gonna be thinking about that one for a long time but not in a way that's good yeah all right let's see here ryan t mandel wrote in this one's a little weird he says hey cnc i was taken aback last week during the bath conversation by the assertion that a dirty person is not really clean after taking a bath For me, this opened up a slew of philosophical questions that fly in the face of everything I've ever been taught. There are many bath-like techniques used to clean things. Is a floor not clean when using a mop and bucket? Is a hand-washed dish not clean when using a sink full of water? Is your car not clean after being hand-washed with a sponge and bucket? My My only conclusions are we are blissfully ignorant of our unclean lives or the assertion last week that was incorrect. What say you, gents? All right, so Ryan, you ask a few things here. Is a floor not clean when using a mop and bucket? I'm not crazy about using the mop and bucket. And my answer to that would be not really. Yeah. It's not really clean. Is a hand wash dish not clean when using a sink full of water? Again, no. I always hated that. You know, when you have like a plugged sink and you like wash the dishes and you rinse them out. And like that to me was always disgusting. Yeah, no, I always I always rinse with the sink. Right, exactly. So again, the answer is no. And then he's saying, is your car not clean after being hand washed with a sponge and bucket? Yes, but you're not... See, the the analogy would be the same if you were putting your car into water and then just removing it from the water, <laughs> you know, or like scrubbing. And then so you so so I don't think you're really thinking this one through. Yeah. In, in my mind, I, yeah. I think it's generally the concept of, of soaking in stagnant water 
is is really the main thing here because you're not really rinsing anything. You're just sort of rinsing everything off you, but like into the thing that's supposed to be rinsing you. You know, I would argue you're probably cleaner standing outside naked in the rain than you are taking a bath. Yeah, I agree. Like 100%. because it's rin- it's actually like constantly new water. And the thing is like with with like cars and like floors and like all that stuff is like, you know, I I would argue like when you mop a floor, it's it's not dirty because you've kind of like you've you've washed the dirt off it, but I I wouldn't say that the floor is clean it's just it's just not messy you know like i still wouldn't eat off of i wouldn't like drop a sandwich on a freshly mopped floor and then be like oh it's okay i just mopped you know yeah i've never i mean when i worked at a deli in high school i had a mop every night before we left and i was always shocked by how dirty the mop water got immediately yeah and also mops are filthy yeah they're disgusting like i I, ever since then i was like so when i wash my floors in my house or back in my apartments I, i wash them on my hands and knees like scrub them with you know a brush and uh, towels and stuff and wipe them up carefully because i'm like that's really the only way i do you have to change the water a lot yeah it's otherwise you're just kind of shifting it's like when people dust with a feather duster which just makes me want to strangle someone (laughs) you're just putting all the dirt into the air so it can fall on something else what is this down nabby you don't fucking you don't dust with a feather duster in in the real world you don't do it yeah it's, it's nonsense (laughs) <laughs> you're just literally moving it around and the dust just flies into the air. You want to get the dust and capture it. Yeah, you br- unless like you consider dusting just breathing the air in after you've d- breathing all the dust in after you've removed it from your countertop or whatever the hell it's. Yeah, your lungs are filtering it for you, which is yeah, a, yeah. that's fine. We do whatever you want. But yeah, I'm a, so Ryan, think more carefully next time you write in a question. You're banned for a little while until uh, <laughs> you think more carefully about things. And finally, communicated. Jefferson Wentworth wrote into us. He said, hello, gentlemen, a bit of a morbid non-gaming curiosity, but have you either of you ever thought about how many people have died listening to you? Be it in a car <laughs> crash, natural disaster or natural causes, there must be quite a number of people that left this world hearing a grown man boast about being right and a late blooming pubescent Hispanic teen calling something wild. Anyway, keep it up. That is pretty morbid. I think about this think a about. lot, actually. Yeah. Like, I've definitely thought about this on numerous occasions only because I experienced something that was genuine that made me think about it a lot more which was like i was driving i was driving at night and then i got i got a text and this is like i, I don't think i've ever told the story but like i got a text from jontron who was like a youtuber and this was before that i had before i had ever really even communicated with him so like this is like the first time i'm getting a text from this person that i'd never really communicated with i was like what so i looked over at my phone i was like what why is john texting me and I like rear-ended this this car that was ahead of me because I was so distracted and confused by the fact that this person just reached out out of nowhere. So you almost killed yourself. Almost died, yeah. Yeah. Because because John because John Tron text message you. <laughs> what a waste! What an amazing like, what a sad story that would have been. Yeah, I, I do wonder sometimes. Like I know that audience members of mine, and I'm sure yours have died. And oh yeah. You, and you hear about that, and that's always really sad. Actually, one of the moderators, I don't use our the Collins last and Reddit, but one of the moderators there passed away last year, I remember. And that's always sad. But yeah, hopefully. Listen, you'd be so lucky to hear my voice as you're dying. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Oh, my God. You know, as you go into the great beyond. Yeah, the, the last light. thing you hear is just. Uh, I don't even know. 
that's wild you know yeah, that's then, wild and that's it and then you're dead that is pretty wild <laughs> that that is that in and of itself is a meta wild yeah situation all right let's get into the games we're playing uh before we do chance altwell wrote into us and said hello cnc boys the best thing is hearing you guys say quote i haven't had time to play video games because of work other hobbies time constraints etc end quote Every other gaming podcast always mentions how many hours they put into an RPG like they were 10 years like they were me 10 years ago with no adult responsibilities. Anyway, it's very relatable and nice to hear that one hobby does not and should not consume us. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Chance. Yeah, I always encourage people to play the games you want to play as much or as little as you can. I don't know that I've played a game for 10 hours a day consistently in a very long time. I I don't even think I have that kind of time or that where like I love video games. I play them every day. 10 hours a day. It's a little much. Yeah, no, little much. I, I've definitely had days where I where I played like a stupid long time, but like sure. never, never consistently. No, and I don't think I would brag about it, but yeah, I certainly uh, wouldn't. but teach his own. I don't give a shit. Do whatever you want. You want to you want to be an, a morbidly obese person laying in your bed playing video games all day. God bless. Yeah. And good luck to you. I don't give a shit what you your do. body fused uh, to the controller. Right. Exactly. It, it, it you actually play with your belly, which is wrapped around a DualShock 4 controller, which is why it's so. Nice that the PS5 will read the DualShock 4 controller because God knows the only thing sticking out of your belly right now is a USB cord to connect it. You're never, never going to see that controller again. You use like use your little fat muscles to move those analog sticks and what have you. All right, let's see. I don't even know what I'm talking about. What are we doing here? Oh, yes. Chris, we're both playing Ghost of Tsushima still. Do you have anything to add that we haven't? We'll get to this spoiler cast at some point. I promise we'll get to it. Yeah, but. we will get to it. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty. uh dead set on finishing it but yeah i don't really have anything else to say i still like it like i still like it a lot it's not uh getting old for me i haven't touched it in like a like a handful of days just because i've been like working on a bunch of other shit but I'm, I'm enjoying it man i like it a lot it's 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 still one of the uh, one of the strongest open open world titles that i've played for sure interesting yeah i'm i can only play it a little burst i get bored with it I got to say, like, I'm, I don't know what it is. I just kind of get bored playing it after a few hours. I just I'm like, I don't want to play this anymore. Yeah. I, I'm excited to talk about it because I, I really do think that this game was victimized by The Last of Us in for me because I'm still so depressed over that game <laughs> that I can't get any. I can't extract any enjoyment out of anything in my life right now, except, of course, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 Remastered, which I've also been playing. Yes. Yeah, so how's that? It's great. I, so. I vaguely remember playing the original because of no Russian and all of that, but it's been 10 years or so. And so this game was free. What was it free last month or this month? One of those months on PlayStation Plus. And I went to go, as I always tell and instruct people to add these games to your download list. So I, w- I went and did that with this game. And then I think I accidentally hit a, like too many buttons and it started downloading to my console. And so when I turned it on the next time, I'm like, oh, this game's on my console. And I, I was going to delete it. And then I was like, you know, what? I kind of want to play it. And it, it's just a nice change of pace for me. I'm playing it on veteran. Oh, my and God. And I'm not very good at games anymore. So uh, I'm slowly, meticulously working my way through it. But I kind of like playing that way. Yeah. It feels I know it sounds a little silly, but it feels kind of realistic. Mm-hmm. Like you really can't survive. Like you get shot twice and you're dead. And I kind of started playing this meta game in my life or in my, in my mind with this game. I don't know if this if people have said this or if even the developers have said this. But have you ever imagined that when the blood splatters appearing on the screen, like you're getting hit, that it's basically the game telling you the bullets are really close and you're about to be shot and killed, but you're not actually getting hit. Does that make sense to you? So that when you get so that when you get downed by a bullet, you actually do get killed. So it's kind of like a warning system. 
but it's the way the game communicates with you. Have you ever heard anyone talk about that that uh, way before? No, I know what you mean though. Like it's it makes perfect sense to me. Like what you're what you're communicating. Right, like it's basically saying like you know you get you. It's almost that noise like that, like, like that, that in, ripping in in the canon reality of the game. You're not being hit, and the the hits that you are sustaining are really just sort of letting you know that if you keep being reckless, you're about to you're about to you know get screwed right. up real bad. Exactly, exactly right. So I've been playing like that, and it's it's slow going. I mean, I'm not very good, but I am enjoying playing the game. It's fun, and it's a nice change of pace. And I actually didn't bring this up here. I brought it up on Sacred Symbols Plus though. I fucked up my thumb really bad last weekend. Oh, yeah. This past weekend. And so it's actually much better now. I was chasing Rush. But my sister and her husband were here to pick me up. We were going to go to my mom's for dinner. And so I was like, Rush always thinks when I go for him, everything, he's not even five months old. So he thinks everything's a game. And I, I was chasing him and trying to like kind of trap him in the garage. And he got around me and I like went and fell backwards and caught myself with my left hand and like snapped my thumb back. And it hurts so bad. And I'm pretty sure I could swear that I heard something crack. Maybe something is broken, like in the where the thumb actually reaches the hand. Well, you would would know if something's broken because you'd have bruising, I feel like. Yeah, well, that would. Yeah, you're right. Because so so that goes into the whole thing is. So you're right about that. I I went through the day we went to dinner and it was like, really, I was in a lot of pain. And then that night I got home and I, I tried to play Ghost of Tsushima and I couldn't. I couldn't even press L3. So I couldn't like run and. I couldn't really extend my fingers to like hit the triggers comfortably without like hurting my thumb. And and when you get injuries like this, as you know, you always expect it's going to get worse before it gets better. Right. Like you I always think of sunburn in this way. You get sunburned. You're like, ah, I'm probably all right. And then the next day you wake up and you're all fucked up. <laughs> I, I feel I feel the same way with when you like when you bruise something or when you like twist an ankle, it always gets worse the next day. And so I, I had this yeah. anticipation that it was going to get worse, but I woke up and it was like way better. Oh, which which never happens. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. So it still hurts. Like I can't bend my thumb all the way down at the joint, but I'm I'm back to playing games. And that's good. That was the other thing is that there was no bruising. That was so, so weird. But my my thumb kind of felt like it was falling asleep. Yeah, you just probably just hurt it real bad. That happens. I've I've definitely done that to like uh, I've done that to my thumb a couple of times. It's interesting that you bring up sunburn, though, because, like, I feel like I'm a mutant because, like, I'll, I will I will just straight up get, like, eviscerated by the sun, but I won't feel anything. You're lucky. Like, it just, I peel and I get red, but, like, it feels, it feels like nothing. Like, I remember because, like, a friend of mine slapped me real hard in the back, and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, ow, why'd you do that? He was like, oh, it's like a sunburn thing. I was like, no, you just hit me in the back. Yeah, <laughs> you just, just hit me really hard. We got into hard. a whole argument about how, like, I just, I didn't feel any different than I would feel if you just hit me in the back. So he was contesting that you were injured because of the sunburn, but you were saying that it would have hurt either way. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't like a stinging burn. It was just like he hit me. <laughs> and I was like, what the what the fuck? Yeah, that's no good. I don't like that. So, yeah, that's basically, uh, I think, think it for the games. But we do have some questions here. This one from Alan Gonski is, is interesting because it comes into Ghost of Tsushima. He says, hello, Kaki Colin and Cunty Chris. That's not very nice. Aw. In Ghost of Tsushima, there is a fog of war on the map. For me, anytime there is a fog of war, I have to clear it immediately. Do you guys have to clear it too before you do much of anything else? It's funny because I hadn't really ever thought about this and I because I'm very meticulous with clearing maps, but fog of war never really bothered me. Yeah. So no, the answer is no, I don't. I don't clear it. Yeah, it never bothered me either. Like, I just feel like it like the fog of war just represents whatever. It almost makes the map more manageable. You know what I mean? Because if, if the map is open, it's part of why I love, why I really like Ghost of Tsushima. It, it's the way that it treats the map is very, 
is very non-overwhelming, very much... It, it, it only moves as fast as you want the game to move. And I really like that. I like that I don't have to look at like this big sprawling map with a bunch of icons, although that eventually does happen after, after a decent amount of playtime. You know, I like the Fog of War system. I don't, I don't think it... Uh, it doesn't drive me to, like, clear it or anything. It's just like, ah, I guess I just, you know, I guess I'll explore this, and I have no idea what I'm going to find, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm I'm digging it. Like, that I like, too, because when you're going from point A to point B and you're putting a, a waypoint on the map, and then you look, and you're kind of cutting through an area you've never been to before, it's kind of exciting, as opposed to clearing it all and then going about your business, and you know you've already seen everything. So that's, I, I agree with you. That's one of the cool little uh, apples on the end of the stick, carrot on the end of the stick that gets me through the game. But I, I, I don't know. There's just something about Ghost of Tsushima that's just, it's not vibing with me the way it's vibing with a lot of other people. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a little bummed about that because it seems like it's a game a lot of people are playing. And I really do believe that if I played Last of Us after Ghost of Tsushima, it, I might not be so depressed. Yeah, you know? I, it might be just a timing thing. I've had games that that I just wasn't into just because of the timing of when I played them. And then I went back to later and it was like, oh, clicks i have no problems like this with modern warfare 2 remastered of course seeing soap mctavish doing his uh (laughs) his thing it's a great pleasure of mine yeah finally hayden glass wrote in said hey battle royale colin and last one standing chris i just wanted to ask if chris had any interest in checking out hyperscape ubisoft's attempt at a battle royale i know you guys are tired of the endless barrage of battle royale games but a lot of people enjoy hyperscape and consider it the first arena shooter battle royale I know Chris enjoys a good arena shooter, and I implore him to give it a try. I would love to hear his insight and opinions on it. Best wishes from Sweet Home, Alabama. The thing, so obviously I'm not going to play this game, but the thing that bothers me about Hyperscape is that it's two words. They don't even intercap it. Yeah. I would have made it one word, no intercap. That's the thing that annoys me the most about the game, and that's why I don't like it. <laughs> Chris, what do you have? You tried this game out at all? I've heard actually mixed things about it. If yeah, it's any no, good I, I haven't tried it out. I've, I've heard friends of mine recommend it to me. Um, and I'm sure I'll get to it eventually. I, I just think Battle Royale as a genre is just one of those things where it's like, if that's what the game is, I'm probably not going to play it. Like, if there's a Battle Royale mode, like, in it, like, and it's just, like, kind of, like, a segmented part of, like, an overall experience that has more to offer than just Battle Royale, then, yeah, I'll give it a shot. But, you know, just because something is kind of an arena shooter in theory, doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to play it, especially if it's in like this really oversaturated genre. And I, and I will say that like the thing that I like about arena shooters the most is specifically the balance and the fact that everybody kind of starts off the same. Whereas in like a battle royale, like isn't the whole point of a battle royale that you're finding weapons on the map and everything's just, but there's no like consistent spawns and there's no like uh, symmetrical play spaces and it. it that just feels like inherently contradictory to what I like about arena shooters. But I've heard enough people recommend it to me that I am curious enough that I will, I I, I will sit down and play it, but I, I, you know, I'm focusing on ghost of Tsushima right now. Uh, once I'm through with that, maybe I'll, I'll check it out and then I'll move on to something else. But yeah, I haven't touched it yet. I'll be interested to see how, what kind of legs this thing has, but I, I still say that the name needs to, needs to change because the word scape is by itself. But when do you ever use the word skate like you words? It's always a compound word landscape scapegoat, for instance, scapegoat. Correct. Very well done. So. I'm a little annoyed by the name. Yeah, it's not a great name, honestly. It's a very forgettable name. 
No, it's totally ridiculous. It's just like all of these other names for battle royales that are just nonsense. You know, like I, I, I just, I don't know. Apex Legends. All right, uh, <laughs> Chris. Let's get into the news. There's nothing too crazy this week, but there are some things that we need to discuss as we consider what's going on in the industry right now. But before we do. We got our letter from Timothy Bryant. I was relieved to get this letter from him. He wrote in and said, hey, he only does everything Colin and he never does anything. Chris, <laughs> it's not very nice. Uh, he only does everything. Used to be my nickname at IGN, of course. That was also <laughs> the P- the PS3 moniker. Just an observation on the show. I've noticed after all this time, while I know there's a bunch of work going into the thumbnails, podcast titles and sacred symbols itself, there's an aspect of the show that makes it stand out from the rest. None of the gaming podcasts I listen to do this and is quite frankly going underappreciated, providing background and history. On almost every news item on the developer, artist, or company the news item is about, I'm always learning something new about the history of whatever the news item is about, and it always, almost always provides much-needed context to the story as well. It has become one, become one of the reasons that I look forward to the news items of that week when you all finally get around to it. How long did it take us this time? Let's see. Uh, about an hour. About an almost hour. an hour. <laughs> an hour. It may be a habit of being at IGN, or it could just be you are simply reiterating what the actual news story is saying, but whatever the case is just... No, at least one of your listeners really appreciates it and keep up because I'm learning a lot, a ton. He says, Chris is also pretty swell too. keep on being a beacon in this miserable 2020 existence and making every day. I stimulate my ears with your voices a fraction better than great again. It's a little bit of a convoluted sentence, but thank you very much. Yeah, needs to be a, needs to be a space there. Timothy, you're you're uh, what do you think of Shakespeare <laughs> talking like that? No, I, pre- I appreciate that. And I'm really glad to hear that because. I do put a lot of work into the news items to try to like give them context, but I must admit that I also do it kind of for selfish reasons. I like to re reinforce my own knowledge of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of column A and column B. I'm just, but I, I handwrite all these obviously. Well, not handwrite them. I write them on a computer, but yeah. And uh, I'm glad that that sticks out because that is something that I enjoy doing. And I'm glad that you're enjoying that as well. Thank you for writing in Shakespeare. Uh, the first big piece of news actually just broke before we recorded. Number one, the Embracer Group, the Swedish company founded in 2008 and once known as Nordic Games and more recently known as THQ Nordic has announced the acquisition of seven new studios to oh add to God. its already extensive stable of talent. The most notable team purchased in the group is 4A Games, the Ukrainian team now working out of Malta that's responsible for the popular Metro series of FPSs based on the Russian post-apocalyptic book series. Interestingly, Saber Interactive, which Embracer also recently recently purchased and which is a mega developer that handles all sorts of games and ports, is the acquiring body, meaning that 4A will be under Saber Interactive, which is under Embracer. The six other studios Embracer acquired include FPS studio New World Interactive, the team behind the Insurgency series, free-to-play centric studio Decca Games, horror developer Vermilla Studios, newly founded survival studio Rare Earth Games, PC developer Pow Wow Interactive, and Immortal Realms Vampire Wars developer Palindrome Interactive, which it already owned 50% of. Now it owns all of it. As the owner of THQ Nordic, Deep Silver, and Coke Media, Embracer is now the owner of dozens of teams with scores of games and development, making it by far the biggest industry player when it comes to volume. Uh, Chase Samuels already knew us on Patreon. He says, hey, scrumptious Colin and salacious Chris. How many fucking companies can THQ buy? With the recent acquisition of 4A Games and seven other smaller studios, it's actually six it's being reported as eight total, but one of them is an animation studio. I wonder how this is even profitable for them. These constant announcements of acquiring studios for them is almost a bi-monthly occurrence, and I'm tired of them in the news, God damn it. <laughs> anyway, thanks for all that you do. Did you see this to Chris before this broke, or is this the first time you're hearing it? Uh, I, I, saw, I did add this to the news. I saw like a, a very brief snippet of it. I didn't actually get a chance to digest it. But uh, I, you know, this is... 
Are are we surprised? No. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm surprised that it's at at who they bought, but I'm not surprised that they bought like a handful of other studios. They just seem to be doing this. I don't know where. I don't know who the hell is funding this. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I think a lot of this comes from European tax breaks. Breaks. They're an Austrian and Swedish studio. I think. Or a team, I think, uh, Embracers in Sweden, and I think that THQ Nordic Incorporated in Austria. So there might be something to do with the EU and l- nice loans, and, and the prices might be right. By my count, they own 30 studios now. Jesus. So uh, this is by far more than, this is about twice as many that Sony owns, and I would say a little less than half of what Microsoft owns. So the big teams that people might be interested in that they own, they own Warhorse Studios. So, um, those are the guys that did Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. They own Volition, which might be their biggest studio. And that those are the guys that did Saints Row. Now they own 4A Games. They own Black Forest Games as well and some others. So they don't own... A, they own maybe a, a handful of AAA, game, uh, AAA studios. And then they own a bunch of smaller studios. And where the money comes from, I'm, I, I my assumption is, is that they're not really paying very much for most of these teams. If you're going and buying a team like Palindrome Interactive, I mean, what are you paying for that, really? A few million bucks. Uh, yeah. Or if you buy, they bought Tarsier in 2019. Tarsier, of course, is a well-known studio in uh, Sweden. They did Little Big Planet on Vita, actually. But it's like, what are you? Pay, what are you really paying for these guys? I don't know. Uh, I don't think you're like, paying very much. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess not. Four A is pretty surprising. I, I will say, like, I, I don't think I expected THQ Nordic to, to bag to bag Four A. But, but at this point, I'm on that. Like. I might just make a game studio just just so THQ can buy it and I could just make millions. Like, because what do you need to make even? Like, I feel like you don't even need to make much. Well, that's a good question. That's a good thing to say, actually, Chris, because two of these studios, as far as I could tell in my research, so Vermilla and Rare Earth Games haven't even launched a game yet. Yeah. So I, I own a studio that's launched three games. I mean, we must be worth, you know, let's not even talk about it here. Just come talk to us. What if, I'll, yeah. I'll sell to you. <laughs> yeah, what if THQ like walks into your bedroom at night like in a in a in a in a tux and a big That'd be hat, awesome. and he says Mr. Hey, THQ? Yeah, Mr. THQ, John THQ himself. John. <laughs> and he's saying walks up to you, he says, uh, I've got an offer you can't refuse. I'm trying to think here. I want him to I am I'm, I'm writing this out here actually. So it'd be John, and then I want it to be T dot. And then HQ is gonna be like A C H E Q Q U E. So that's that's his name, John A. John A. <laughs> John THQ. <laughs> so stupid. I'm just trying to entertain myself. All right, so that's that with the Embracer Group, and we'll be chronicling them. So they have presumably a hundred plus games in development. We'll see how it works out. It has been working okay for them. I mean, yeah, I mean they keep buying stuff, so I mean, yeah, I think they're going to be okay. I, I don't think. I just, I just don't think the investment like when I'm looking at these studios, I bet you Insomniac costs more than half of these teams combined. And when you look at it through the, that lens. It was what, two hundred and twenty nine million dollars to buy Insomniac. There is no way that. I mean, I would say they, that might have been what they spent on literally almost all of these teams. So and looking at the list, because uh, you have to remember, they got Volition by getting T. They didn't. Volition's the biggest team, and they actually got them by getting Deep Silver, which was owned by Coke Media. Yeah. So the the biggest act was outright acquisition was Warhorse, and then 4A. And I I can't imagine that they paid that much. No, like wasn't there also like a really weird like shift around as to like who owned what at that at that exact studio or that exact uh, publishing team? 
for Warhorse or for for, for uh, THQ? Oh yeah. So T- well, THQ. The f- so as far as I remember, the, they THQ bought I think a piece of Deep Silver or Coke Media, and they also bought a bunch of stuff under THQ Nordic, like Rainbow Studios and all that stuff. And then the they bought the name, but not the studios. Yeah. And then the studios all went free. And then Deep Silver ended up buying Volition, and then THQ Nordic bought Deep Silver. Do you follow all that? Yeah. I think that's yeah. Like the way it went. <laughs> Jesus, what a what fucking a, what a narrative. Uh, shout out to 4A Games, though, because they did move to Malta from the Ukraine after the civil war there. And so I'm sure that they're thrilled about getting a little bit of financial security from the sale. So we'll keep an eye on all of this. And a few of these studios like Gunfire, Black Forest, I think that they're still waiting for their first big hit. And I think they might break out at some point. Yeah, uh, I, I know that with um, Gunfire, I think it was especially Richard Hogue wrote in and said, yeah, it's right here. Gun ga- Gunfire Games is underrated. They are due for a publicly popular breakout. We will see. We'll keep a close eye out on that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chris, number two, it's been about two months since Naughty Dog released its controversial but generally liked PS4 exclusive The Last of Us Part Two. And if you're looking for a good reason to go back, the game's developer may have given you a couple of good reasons to do so. As of the time this podcast goes live, players can download a new update for the game that adds the grounded difficulty setting as well as the adjustable permadeath mode. Both editions have a new single. uh, I'm sorry. Both editions have a single new trophy attached to them each. Grounded difficulty was in the original Last of Us and ratchets up the challenge substantially. All enemies are stronger than in any other mode and ammunition and crafting materials are scarcer than ever. Most pivotally, however, you can't use listen mode on grounded difficulty, removing what is perhaps the player's most useful tool, particularly when it comes to stealth combat. Permadeath mode, on the other hand, is what it sounds like, though Naughty Dog has instituted some customization, so you can set a permadeath by chapter or day and other parameters. So-called gameplay modifiers have also been added. This lets you add perks like infinite ammo and crafting, alter the game's sounds and visuals, mess with the physics, and more. Tom Barber wrote into us and said, Greetings, Colin and Chris. It has been revealed that The Last of Us Part Two is getting two new difficulty modes. This, as well as Ghost of Tsushima's announcement last week, has led me to realize that this is a very common occurrence today. 
First-party games such as Horizon, Spider-Man, and Days Gone, as well as many third-party games, have all patched in new difficulty modes sometime after release. Why do you think difficulty has become something that developers patch in later? Personally, as someone who enjoys difficult games, it's a little annoying that these difficulties are added well after I'm done with them, often with trophies attached. Would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, and keep up the great work. So what do you think? About, I have noticed this as well, Chris. What do you make of the entire idea, especially in Sony's first party, of them adding both New Game Plus and, which they didn't do here, but because it's already there, but New Game Plus and new difficulty settings afterwards. I think it's kind of a clever way to get people to talk about the game in the month or two after the game comes out. They're free, so you can't really complain about that. So I think it's a nice way to remarket the game, but but what do you make of it? Yeah, I think that's pretty much the strategy. It's like, hey, you know, we can... You, the game's out already. It's done all the... It's done all the media circuits that it could possibly do at this point, but, you know, if we... If we put this out a little bit afterwards, then we can get like a, a little bit more buzz. I, I, I think it really is just purely for a marketing standpoint, because there's no reason why th- there's no real reason why a, a, a difficulty setting needs to needs like a particularly long development cycle. I feel like that's just part of balancing the game in the first place. So, you know, I, I feel like. It's a little weird. I, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I, you know, I, I understand why it's done. Like it makes perfect sense from a from a marketing perspective. Yeah, I think it's a good marketing tool. Keep keep the game fresh in people's minds. I will say this though, on NaughtyDog.com, I'm looking at the blog post about this. When I was reading this before, it really bothered me because so they added permadeath mode. But here's what they say about it: with this custom mode enabled, there are no second chances. You must complete the entire game without dying or start over from the beginning. However, if taking on the whole game is too daunting, you can choose to enable permadeath mode with checkpoints on a per chapter or per act basis. In other words, if you die at the end of day one, you'll have to play the entire day over again. That's not permadeath. Well, I, I don't understand. I don't. So you can do it on a per act basis. That's ridiculous. There's like 30 something acts. That's not permadeath. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just another way to play, I guess. And it, it makes it a little bit more approachable, I guess, if you're trying to like practice something like it. Like, if you want to do The Last of Us and kind of practice how to get through it in permadeath, that's a far more enticing way to go through it. But, yeah, if you get the achievement, like, if you get the trophy for for beating, like, permadeath mode with checkpoints, I feel like that's a little stupid. It's weird, right? Like, I was reading that, and I'm like... Yeah, it's not permadeath, This isn't really. permadeath. Uh, now, I'm not really into permadeath runs. We, we've talked about the Wolfenstein 2 permadeath run, which is nuts. But... I just was like, all right, so it's permadeath. But this is when Naughty Dog gets a little too much into the weeds with accessibility. It's like, I don't think permadeath is supposed to be accessible. I think that's the idea is that it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fair point. Yeah. If our permadeath mode is too difficult, then alter it. So it's not permadeath anymore. <laughs> what? It's, it doesn't really make any sense, but OK. So um, I'm not going to play that anytime soon, but I'll go back to the game in, in the years to come and, and then I'll download uh the new difficulty setting. And it doesn't really bother me because Horizon got that, as he said, as Tom said in his letter, and I'm going to go back and play Horizon in the coming weeks for knockback. And I will be playing the the new game plus mode that wasn't there initially. So it's a nice way for me to go back. It worked for me, Tom. Yeah. All right. Number three, an anonymous account on Twitter called Galaxy Rain 666 tweeted out what are almost certainly legitimate pictures of Sony's DualSense controller in the wild. This account tweeted it randomly in 2012 and 2013 and then a couple of times this year before unleashing four pictures from this account uh, of the controller. The first shows it on a desk with some wires and batteries. The second picture shows the controller in this person's hand flipped over so we can see it's back. A DualShock 4 is in the background of that picture. 
A third picture closer up shows the front of the controller with the light bar on around the central pad. And finally, a fourth picture with a bunch of information scratched out shows the controller's battery specifications. It seems the DualSense will have more battery life than DualShock 4. Did you take a look at these pictures by chance? That have been making the rounds of the uh, of the dual sense. They're real. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I saw I saw them on Twitter. I think they were floating around on Twitter. Yeah, that's what I said. It's a Twitter account. Yeah, Galaxy yeah. Rain six six six. Any any thoughts? The, my only thought from the controller is that it looks big. We we knew that already, and I don't really mind that. But it looks it looks it looks sizable compared to the DualShock Four. Yeah, it reminds me of um, oh my god, it reminds me of the the <laughs> like the Dreamcast almost or like the the original Duke. Because yeah. it looks pretty, it looks pretty hefty. But I, I like hefty controllers, so I don't, I don't really mind. I actually think it's a step up, personally. Yeah, we'll see. I don't, I don't mind. Um, at, at least all. in theory, like on paper. Yeah, we'll see. I, I I'm not worried about this. It, it is very rare for a controller to come out that is not satisfactory in, in some way, and th- that's a thing that's just dealt with in R and D so specifically that it would be hard for them to release some. Like th- the last time I, I remember there being a controller that was really authentically like fucking weird and i would argue bad is the n64 controller which i think is garbage uh and no i the wii u was i think worse oh the wii u yeah okay sure sure the wii yeah u. I, yes. I i actually think the the n64 controller was like it, it was really weird but i don't think it was bad like i thought there was like some kind of like there was an interesting charm about like holding it like this weird kind of like holding the middle and like it almost felt like you were holding something that wasn't made by people uh, that was like kind of cool about it it's uh, I remember I remember still picking it up for the first time at like a kiosk and in 1996 and not understanding what I was supposed to do with Mario 64 or whatever, because you want to hold the controller on the edges. But you don't for people that have never played an N64. And I know that you're out there because there are a lot of young, young people out there listening to the show. But you would hold the N64 controller in the middle and then hold it up and on the right. That's how you typically play. Yeah. So there was this whole side of the controller on the left that you typically didn't use. And it was just not. I don't know. There was there was nothing about it that boded well for me when I picked up my N64. I was like, I don't understand this. And I, I still don't. I still don't like that controller at all. I hate it, actually. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't mind like there's the Z button and stuff. There's some cool stuff on it. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But not, it's, not it's definitely a weird one. It took me a long time to like. But the, the Wii, the Wii U is definitely to me just the worst one. It, You're it, totally it, right. You're absolutely right with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it feels like a toy. It feels like a Fisher Price toy. It like um, it's huge. It's heavy. It's and the face bl- buttons are above the analog stick. The face buttons are above the. Uh, uh, oh my god! Yeah, that on both sides. If doesn't I recall correctly, that's, that doesn't even make any sense. Like that's just nonsense. Yeah, that was that was Nintendo trying to be different. Oh yeah, without a doubt, it was definitely like I think almost objectively the worst controller. Oh yeah, I, I, maybe <laughs> the Virtual Boy is worse. Maybe. Oh, uh, the Virtual. Boy. I wish I picked up again. It's like the Virtual Boy and the Jaguar. How many times I saw those things just being sold for pennies at KB Toys or something like that, and I was just like. <laughs> I remember there being a stack of Jaguars. It's like, man, I wish I knew there are three. Con- there are three consoles. I remember seeing literal stacks of that. W- and it, especially one of them would be incredibly valuable right now. I remember seeing the top loading NES at Toys R Us in like 94, or 95, just like a pyramid of them, which would be I, w- I should have bought those. I remember seeing Jaguars stacked up being sold for like $20 each at KB Toys. And I remember um, Virtual Boy, like you said, being sold for nothing. And it's too bad that I just didn't have it. You know, I didn't have any money or knowledge at that time. Just going and buying 20 virtual boys and keeping them in the box. But I didn't do it because I'm a fucking idiot. (laughs) Number four, storied British developer Rocksteady, the team behind the Batman Arkham trilogy, has finally acknowledged that it's making a Suicide Squad game. 
via social media post that lets prospective players and fans know that more information on the game will be coming on August 22nd, as earlier rumored, during a DC-centric online event called Fandom. The game has been in development for about seven years, according to vague reporting about the title, and it's purportedly going to be called Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. We know literally nothing else about it, though it's presumably a third-person action game likely set in an open world. As we said when we heard about the title, so people will remember a few weeks ago on the show, we had mentioned that the URLs for these this game had been secured, and so that leaked the, the title of the game. I love that title. I, I That title makes me want to play the game. I think it sounds so cool. Yeah. Whether or not it is, I don't know, but um, any more, any excitement, any anticipation about this? We'll know more not the next episode, but the episode after about what this is all about. Yeah, no, this is cool. It's exciting. Rocksteady hasn't said anything in ages, so it's it's finally, it's cool to see acknowledgement. It's cool to know when we're going to see more this is this is cool and also like yeah like you said the title's awesome yeah the like, title's i was immediately great. sold like on the title and and a lot of people were like i saw a lot of like weird uh reactions on on the internet which actually kind of gives you like this weird kind of window into what it's like for people who don't follow video games very much who don't really disconnect like media or like uh specifically like film and games because i saw a lot of people tweeting about like why would they make a, a game about that terrible movie? And it's like, oh, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't that just, it existed in the comic. The yeah, comics you don't understand that Rocksteady is awesome. And that Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then even if they were making like the Jared Leto Joker, it would probably be pretty good. Yeah. Probably, uh, honestly. Yeah, so you're right. Rocksteady hasn't released a core game since 2015. That's when Arkham Knight came out. They did release the VR game for Batman in 2016. I was reading reports that this game's entered development around 2013, so who knows how much of that is true. I imagine it is a next-gen only game. I think that would be very wise, probably for 2021. What would be even cooler is if it was going to be available on the consoles at launch, but I doubt that that's going to be true. So, uh, yeah, Suicide Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League coming from Rocksteady. Likely PS5, Xbox Series X, PC. We'll know more on August 22nd, so keep an eye out for that, and we'll discuss it on this show, of course. We're both comic book uh, experts so <laughs> yeah we'll have a lot of interesting things to say at that time number five speaking of warner brothers which owns the aforementioned studio rocksteady it appears that it may no longer be spitting off its games division as as has been discussed in the press for a couple of months wb was apparently shopping around its suite of studios and licenses including netherrealm rocksteady and others and ip like mortal Kombat, and had suitors and publishers like electronic arts who were apparently actively interested alongside activision and others However, in information released by subsidiary Warner Brothers alongside recent financial reports, the following is noted in part, quote, Warner Brothers Interactive remains part of the studios and network group, along with our global brands and franchises team, including DC, Ellipsis, focused on engaging fans with our brands and franchises through games and other interactive experiences, end quote. However, such news comes on the back of a major restructuring of Warner of Warner Media, which is above WB Interactive in the labyrinthine corporate pecking order, with 500 layoffs expected around its movies, TV, and streaming units, according to a report from website Deadline. I also note that they, uh, or read that they uh, had layoffs at DC itself. Um, so this is interesting. My theory on this, Chris, is that they realized how valuable this was. Well, two things. Either they weren't getting the price that they wanted. I know that they want to pay down corporate debt. I don't know how I was saying earlier, I'm not really sure how valuable this really is because you're not going to get all the IP you think you're going to get. They're not going to yeah. just hand over the DCIP. They're going to hand over like Mortal Kombat and stuff like that, which is valuable, but uh, not the same level of value. And obviously, Rocksteady and Netherrealm are really the only two studios 
um, and TT games that they that they own that people would really be super interested in. So I'm not sure what the price would have been. But my theory is, is that they were looking at this. They're restructuring. They have new executive leadership and they realize, well, maybe we want to keep these things after all. And I think that they've just put them back inside their pockets. So no longer for sale. So this whole this whole thing of WBI joining Microsoft and all of that, that people were or EA or whatever, not going to happen, it looks like. So uh, no comment there otherwise, though. I don't know that I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. I think keeping all these IP and these licenses separated from each other is the best for the gamer. I think having these things folded into like EA would have sucked. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. No, that would have been terrible. Like Mortal Kombat is an EA license. NetherRealm is an EA studio. It's just kind of not imaginable. It's hard to even wrap your head around that. So uh, I'm glad they're remaining independent, at least for now. So there's that. This next one is weird, though, Chris. I don't know if you have any insight into this. Number six, something weird is going on with the game Aeon Must Die, which was shown off to some claim in the most recent PlayStation State of Play presentation. This is a complicated and murky situation, but website Games Industry International bakes it down as such. A studio called Limestone Games is making an action game, Aeon Must Die, with publisher Focus Home Interactive. However, in a Dropbox bomb, a bunch of information seems to indicate substantial discord and perhaps even fraudulent behavior happening at the studio and that the entire team had quit prior to the reveal of the new trailer, quote, due to unbearable work conditions with endless crunch, harassment, abuse, corruption and manipulation, end quote. Due to some apparent business manipulation, quote, the company and the entire IP was covertly taken from the founder, end quote, and the trailer shown, quote, is infringing on the IP of people who have worked on scenes from it without contract and were not paid at any point, end quote. 12 Limestone Games employees contacted contacted Focus Home Interactive about these issues in June, according to the claims, with eight later quitting the team entirely. While the situation remains both vague and unresolved at the time we're recording, we don't have much more information, though. Focus Home Interactive released a statement saying, quote, as the publisher of this video game, Focus is carefully looking into these allegations and will draw the necessary conclusions if they are proved to be well founded and then take all appropriate measures, end quote. So. Uh, it's worth noting Focus Home Interactive is a publisher that's making a bit of a name for itself in the last couple of years. It doesn't seem like they have anything to do with this. Yeah. Uh, did you see this? Um, I did see. Yeah. So what do you make of it? Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, I do know that, you know, that many people don't leave from a studio <laughs> for no reason. So th- there's clearly something going on. I, I'm curious to see, like, what actually gets unearthed by any kind of investigation or any kind of further news because it's 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 an interesting story like genuinely it is and i i really want it to be resolved in in a way that ameliorates the situation for focus home interactive because i dig them like i'm kind of been pulling for them the last few years because they seem to be publishing they're a french publisher for people that don't know and they seem to be publishing pretty interesting games that are bordering on triple a but are not quite there so that sumo digital game hood outlaws and legends which looks awesome by the way uh, about robin hood that comes mm-hmm. out next year they're publishing that they published a plague tale oh they published greedfall which is supposed to be excellent i haven't played it yet the spiders game they published the surge and the surge 2 uh they're the publisher of vampire from don't nod so they're they do the farming simulator games and stuff so they're like i think they did city skylines too if i if i remember correctly so it's it's uh they're they're doing some interesting stuff in the space, and I don't want this to kind of fall back on them, especially because they only publish a few games a year. So it's not like they're one of these like seemingly 
greed ridden yeah. publishers that are, and uh and all that so anyway we'll see how it all shakes out it's a weird story i wasn't even sure how to cover it so i think i gave you the guys the best information i could but if you just look it up aeon must die a-e-o-n must die you'll find all the information you need and there is you can go through the dropbox yourself there's like statements and emails and all sorts of shit that were leaked so go check it out Number seven, celebrated Capcom producer Yoshinori Ono has announced that he's leaving the publisher after nearly 30 years. In a letter posted on his Twitter account, he addresses Street Fighter fans and the fighting game community in particular since he has, over the last nearly two decades, been at the forefront of Capcom's Street Fighter revival. He also talks about some drama surrounding the Capcom Cup, which has been, been controversial in FGC circles. He wrote in part, quote, I've been with the Street Fighter brand for a long time, experiencing good times, bad times, and even non-existent times. My heart is filled with appreciation to those players who have been giving me uh, giving warm and kind support of the brand, especially over the last decade or so, as all of the activities on the Street Fighter brand regained sunshine and grew its liveliness. I love I love Japanese English. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. And now, after serving almost 30 years at Capcom, I'm leaving the company this summer. This means that I will resign my position as the brand manager for Capcom's various titles, including Street Fighter, end quote. Capcom's all-important Street Fighter brand will be handed off to new folks to tend to, according to Ono's letter, though he doesn't make it clear why he's leaving or where he's going. Ono began at Capcom in 1993 and was actually a sound producer and music composer during his earliest projects, including the Street Fighter Alpha spinoff series, my favorite Street Fighter games, Street Fighter 3, Breath of Fire 4, and Animusha. He jumped into production on games like Animusha Dawn of Dreams, which is Animusha 4, and Dead Rising, before finding himself at the forefront of Capcom's fighting revival with Street Fighter 4 in 2008, which he was the producer and project manager of. From there, he became an executive producer and brand manager and worked on Street Fighter Cross Tekken, Darkstalkers Resurrection, and of course, Street Fighter V, which came out in 2016. This uh, surprised me a lot. I don't know what's behind this. I assume he got another job somewhere, Mm -hmm. but... He is an, in, an inextricable part of Street Fighter. And I remember I've met him many times and he's always been he's he's got a lot of energy. He's funny. <laughs> uh, he's really great for Capcom and the brand. I mean, I think he would be great at a place like Arc System Works. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't know if that's what he's going to do, but, um, you know, we're wishing him the very best. Do you have any uh, Yoshinori Ono thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I didn't know anything about this. And I also just, like, you know, I've never really spent that much time in the fighting game community. I played a little bit of Street Fighter back in the day, but, like, you know, I, I kind of fell out of it. But this is pretty, that's pretty wild. I, I didn't see this reported anywhere, actually. Yeah, he just, uh, he tweeted about it. It's a letter that he wrote, and I didn't see it reported too many places either. But, you know, obviously we want to give a shout out to Yoshinori Ono. Yeah. And uh, wish him the very best. Number eight. You're lucky this wasn't number one, considering I write the show. A new G.I. Joe game (laughs) has been revealed by toy manufacturer Hasbro due out this fall. The game is called G.I. Joe Operation Blackout, and it's coming to PS4 and elsewhere on October 13th. Operation Blackout is being developed by a little known studio called Iguana Bee, which actually created the seldom played PlayStation Vita exclusive game Monster Bag, which came out in 2015, and more recently, the colorful platformer Head Snatchers. They've teamed up with publisher Game Mill Entertainment for this release, Though the trailer for Operation Blackout seems to emphasize multiplayer, the game actually has an 18-stage campaign that can be played solo or in co-op, and then there are PvP modes as well. Players can play as both Joe and Cobra, and there are 12 playable characters, including Duke, Cobra Commander, Baroness, and more. Ryan Myers wrote in and said, Yo, Colin and Chris, I just watched the official trailer for G.I. Joe Operation Blackout. Like you, Colin, G.I. Joe holds a special place in my heart, and I would love to play a video game that truly captures the camp and nostalgia of the G.I. Joe brand. 
This new game looks like a hero shooter along the lines of Overwatch, which is really not my thing. And the art style, maybe meant to elicit G.I. Joe comic books, looks super similar to Borderlands. Well, it is. It's it's cell shaded. Honestly, I associate G.I. Joe more with the 80s cartoon in the three and three quarter inch real American hero action figure line. And this trailer didn't get me too excited. What do you both think of this reveal? Are you excited for the game? Do you have an opinion on how a video game could best draw from the G.I. Joe's long legacy? This is a, a weird one. I actually reached out. Well, so I was talking to a guy that's working on the game on Twitter because I was concerned that it was multiplayer only, but it isn't. Thank God. Mm. So um, did you see the trailer for this by chance? I I saw like snippets of it, but like I didn't if I didn't know it was a G.I. Joe title just based on like the, the name of the video that I was watching, I wouldn't have guessed necessarily that it was a G.I. Joe title. Yeah, so it's it's cell shaded and really stylistic, and I do think that it does play up the camp, which is good, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I just got a little disappointed. It's no no disrespect to to um uh I'm reading here. I want to make sure I got their game right or their name right. No disrespect to Iguanabe, the developer, or obviously Game Mill, the publisher. But I just wish Hasbro invested a little bit more money into this yeah. and went with a studio and a team that could really make a great GI Joe game because it's it's. Six one half dozen to the other. You're not going to get you're not going to get people to pay attention to your game and, and do good for the brand unless you release a great game and get people's attention. I don't know if the game's going to be any good or not. I think it looks fun, but I'm not like blown away, excited about it, but I'm obviously going to buy it the first day it comes out and it comes out in October. So we don't have too much longer to go. But Saul Nulasco wrote into us and said, good day, gentlemen. Colin, I've been following you for a couple of years now, and I've heard you use the word camp to describe a couple of games as of late. The thing is, I don't know what it means. Could you please help this fella out? Thanks for all you two do. So, Chris, I don't know what your definition of camp is, but uh, camp generally means, in my mind, and I think just for everybody, camp is like melodrama and uh, gaudiness and all of that. So think about like WWF wrestling in the 80s about that's like that's the pinnacle of camp. You know, or um, obviously, like some of the original camp was like Rocky Horror Picture Show is considered like a, like a an original piece of camp. And so G.I. Joe's campy because like the enemies are dumb and they don't really seem to have a plan and it's all colorful and they don't no one gets killed. And the pilots jump out of their planes before they explode. And, you know, so it's that's what camp really is. How do you describe camp, Chris? Yeah, I don't. Camp is always like really difficult to describe for me because it's just sort of something that, you know, when you see it for me, like, um, like, I think the the original, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies are, like, pretty, pretty damn campy, but they're, like, they're this weird, like, mix of modernity, like, um, like modern film style and, like, that campiness where, like, you know, th- these special effects aren't amazing, but they're, like, over the top and ridiculous and, you know, the villains are, like, kind of comically evil and there's, like, all these monologues and, you know, I, I think of, like, even Adam West's Batman Oh, yeah, just that's, like, that's hella campy, dude. Just redi- That's like pinnacle camp to me. That, that is ultimate, like, silly, ridiculous, like, nonsensical, just just for the sake of kind of communicating something that's not very complicated in a, in a way that's fu- as fun as possible to communicate. It really is kind of beyond description to me. Like, I could, I could give you examples of camp. Like, I can, I, you can, sh- you can, put a campy movie in front of me, I can tell you exactly why everything is campy, but I don't know if it really has like a reliable definition, at least, at least colloquially. Yeah. I mean, just think, just think exaggerated. Yeah. That's basically it. Like everything is, is amped up. Everything is over the top. 
And that's what camp is. I would say camp, as far as like in a television show or in a movie or in, or even in a game, is is almost as if what you're watching and what you're playing is a stage musical in a, in a weird way where like kind of every the acting is like exaggerated and you know the the reactions are exaggerated and the and the voices that people use and the tones that people use are like exaggerated because on stage they have to be to reach the entire audience i feel like there's like a level of campiness in that like inher- inherently but it's it really is difficult to explain just go watch some camp and you'll know. Exactly. Yeah. Go watch G.I. Joe for an hour. Go watch it's Spider-Man on. 2 and watch uh, Peter Parker eat a hot dog. And then it, it while raindrops keep falling on my head plays and then it freeze frames on his face. Yeah. Th- those that <laughs> Spider-Man trilogy is exactly it. Like, so think about you're exactly right, because the opposite of camp in my mind is like Nolan's Batman. Movies, yeah, exactly. Where it might come off as funny, but it's not supposed to. <laughs> like, yes, brother, isn't supposed to actually be funny, even though it. It probably is. All right. Number nine, a handful of publishers have revealed fresh sales data for some of their respective biggest games via recently released financial reports. For starters, Push Square reports that Final Fantasy VII Remake, released by Square Enix on PS4 on April 10th, has surpassed 5 million copies sold. Indeed, the game is Square Enix's, quote, highest selling digital release on the PlayStation platform in Square Enix's history, end quote. So that's not really anything crazy, but we know that it sold, I guess, more than Final Fantasy XV. And actually, I um. Final Fantasy 14 would be on there, so I guess a few others, but nice sales for Final Fantasy 7. Meanwhile, publisher Capcom has revealed that as of June 30th, Resident Evil 3 Remake has sold 2.7 million copies, which, as noted by website Video Games Chronicle, represents a substantial drop in sales from Resident Evil 2 Remake's first two months on the market back in 2019. Resident Evil 3 Remake came to PS4 and elsewhere on April 3rd, just a week before Final Fantasy 7 Remake, in their respective first two months on the market. The aforementioned Resident Evil 2 remake sold 4.2 million copies, while 2017's Resident Evil 7 sold 3.5 million copies. Meanwhile, 2009's Resident Evil 5 sold 5 million units in its first two months, while 2012's Resident Evil 6 sold 4.8 million units. And finally, website Silicon Era notes that publisher Bandai Namco in its recent financial data reports that Dragon Ball, Mobile uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, and Naruto continue to be its biggest sellers in games. So not mm. a huge surprise there. Those I always get disappointed when I read those Resident Evil sales figures. And you can understand why they were making the Resident Evil games they were making for a while, because they were legitimately selling better. Yeah, but it's un- it's unbelievable to me. I didn't even play six because it looked so it looked so bad. But I played Resident Evil five extensively, and it's just such a weird game. It's a shooter, really, yeah. first and foremost. It's like a Gears game almost. Yeah, it's like a third person shooter with lots of ammo and lots of enemies and it sold more than Resident Evil 7, which is an abomination, really, when you think about it, because Resident Evil 7 is awesome. I feel like a lot of that could come down to just, like, the pedigree of Resident Evil 4 and the expectations that people had going into it, you know? Sure. I will say, too, that Resident Evil 3 Remake dropping off, that's not a huge surprise, because the game didn't have a great reputation compared to Resident Evil 2 Remake because it's so short. And they were kind of remixing it a lot. So I think that kind of turned people off to it. Yeah. Also, Resident Evil 2, the base Resident Evil 2 game is just a more beloved game than Resident Evil 3. So mm-hmm. uh, so there's that. And finally, a, a pretty extensive wrap up here. Number 10, website Gamatsu has relayed a ton of new backend information from PlayStation Store that has leaked quite a few unannounced upcoming downloadable PS4 games, including shoot 'em up Katsui Deathtony, Kizuna Juguko Taki. I think I said that right. MMORPG Blessed Unleashed, which was an Xbox One game. Arcade Shmup Ginja Force, visual novel Inuwashi 
Yurabure, Tante, Tuoji Samakaiji, no Ikabukuro. What the fuck? <laughs> file. I think I did that pretty right, pretty well, actually. Yeah. Let's see. Beat him up. Kawaii Deathu Desu, which will also appear on Vita. Hello Games upcoming title, The Last Campfire. Online shooter, Mortal Blitz, Combat Arena, Horror Game Outbreak, The Nightmare Collection, Action RPG, Quest Hunter, Side Scroller, Rocket Birds, Hard Boiled Chicken, which is already on PS3 and Vita. Weird Management Game, Spirit Fair, and Survival Game, The Wild 8. Gamatsu also reports that World War II game War Mongrels has been revealed for both PS4 and PS5. That Puzzle Platformer Projection First Light is coming to PS4 on September 29th. That cooking game, Cook, Serve, Delicious 3, has a launch month of October on PS4. The PSVR game, The Walking Dead Onslaught, will be coming out on September 29th. That RTS Dog Duty comes to PS4 on September 17th. That arcade game, Dark Complete Edition, is coming to both PS4 and PS5 in December. That Little Witch Academia VR Broom Racing, which I know Chris is excited about. Oh, with, without a doubt. Comes to PSVR in 2021. That indie RPG, Noel of the Mortal Fate, is coming to PS4 later this year. And that adventure game, Death Come True, is coming to PS4 on October 15th. Website Push Square reports that Bioshock-inspired game Atomic Hearts is now coming to PS5 in addition to PS4, and that Bus Simulator 21 is coming to PS4 in 2021. The official PlayStation blog reports that strategy game Immortal Realms Vampire Wars is coming to PS4 on August 28th. You'll note that THQ Nordic just bought the studio that made that. While Final Fantasy XIV's long-awaited and long-delayed update patch 5.3 is finally available for PS4, this update brings with it, amongst other things, an increase in the level cap, three new jobs, a new race, and more. Publisher Codemasters has revealed that upcoming racing game Dirt 5 has been delayed by a week and will now come to PS4 on October 16th. Developer Hardsuit Labs has revealed that its upcoming RPG Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 has been bumped out of 2020 and will now come to PS4 in 2021. Developer id Software has revealed that Doom Eternal is getting single-player DLC called The Ancient Gods. Yes. That will be more fully revealed in the coming weeks, so we'll talk about that in detail when, when the time comes. Toy manufacturer Funko has revealed a new set of PlayStation toys, including figures for Ratchet & Clank, Joel, Sweet Tooth, and Sam Porter Bridges. And finally, Remedy Entertainment has revealed Control Ultimate Edition, which comes with both major expansions and various updates in addition to the core game. Uh, it'll come to PS4 on September 10th and PS5 around the console's launch. A little bit of controversy around that, Chris. Yeah. What do you think about what, what's going on with a Control Ultimate Edition and the the lack of an, a free next-gen upgrade for people that don't buy the special edition of the game? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that sucks. I think um, this is kind of the reason why the kind of smart delivery moniker is kind of, I, I would say, kind of necessary, kind of necessary. Uh, because not every publisher is going to act with the assumed method in mind. Like, I feel like a lot of people just kind of assume that their games are going to transfer. But I feel like I guess sometimes it's really not going to be the case. I think it sucks that Remedy is getting the flack for this because I feel like this is a 505 decision. You know, like, the, yeah, probably because I, I feel like Remedy is like in a pretty good spot. Like they're, they're working with Microsoft on Crossfire. They're working on. Probably, probably, probably another game. I think at some point. Yeah, they're doing something with Alan Wake, right? With uh, something in the Alan Wake and um, the shared universe. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're bringing Alan Wake back into uh, Control. Like they're they're uh, merging those universes pretty solidly. And I don't know. That's a really shitty thing for Five Hundred Five to do. Although I, I guess I understand it. I, I could understand it a little bit more if the game ran really well. You know. Yeah, that's what people's complaint is, is that the game runs like shit. Yeah, it's 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 so clearly a game that probably was supposed to come out on on PS5 or like a game that would probably would have honestly it probably would have done well to come out like during the uh 
during the launch of the new consoles because I feel like it definitely would have shined because it definitely feels like the gimped version of a game that you could get better elsewhere. You know what I mean? Sure. I, I wonder because this is so um, this is so controversial and getting so much pushback. I wonder if they actually nix this entirely. But so we'll keep an eye on it. But yeah, you know, the game was made for cheap and it didn't sell well. So you can see that 505 is eager to make the money back if they haven't already. I mean, yeah. the investment was what, what did they say? 40 million euro or something. That's really not a lot of money. So uh, to make a game. So we'll keep an eye on that control. Ultimate Edition, September 10th, PS5 at launch. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Uh, new game releases, Chris. Let's get into this. But before we do, Kyle Yurick wrote into us and said, hey, guys, Sony has been doing a ton of digital game sales lately. It got me thinking about Lilymo games. So that's the developer I own a piece of. How do you get your games on sale with PSN? Do they reach out or can you request to participate in sales with a set price drop? Uh, you request to be included in the sales. So wanted to just answer that question. It's not always easy to get into them. You're not guaranteed to get into them. They usually have a plan. It took us a while to get Harboxia uh, put on sale. But it finally did. And it sold a lot, actually, when, when it was on sale. So it's it, so we can verify that sales are good for game uh, for moving your games. So, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there for Kyle since he asked. Uh, the only game of real note that I think we know what it is, is Fast and Furious Crossroads. That's coming to PS4 and uh, it's supposed to be ba- bad and not run very well. <laughs> so I would keep an eye on that and maybe wait if yeah. you're looking to buy that. Otherwise, Chris, tradition dictates that we take these games in order. You begin and okay. uh, start off with Arcade Archives Circus Charlie. Okay, Arca- Arcade Archives Circus Charlie comes to PS4. Uh, I don't know if this is the same. Is this? Could you assume that this is probably the same Circus Charlie from like NES? Like, yeah, I would, I would uh, assume that this is it, it. Is the Arcade Archives games are re-releases of yeah, old yeah. games? Yeah, yeah. So this, if I remember correctly. This is just like a, a standard NES kind of circus game where you do you do gymnastics and you do it in a, a NES style and and you, you don't you you can't hurt yourself because it's a it's a game so right. it's the ideal way to do gymnastics. Fair enough. Banner of the Maid comes to PS4. So this is a game that takes place in uh, the Victorian era of England, and you are uh, you are the the downstairs staff in a stately house of a sir, a lord, and a and a lady, and you have to clean uh, very carefully and dust like we were talking about earlier. You're going to vacuum with some primitive vacuums. You're going to sweep. You're going to do the dishes. You're going to tend to the garden. You're going to do all these kinds of things that you have to do. Uh, and at the end, uh, all of the maids that. And it's not only maids, by the way, it's footmen and others, uh, males as well. Uh, they all place their banners on this banister. And uh, that's what the banner of the maid is all about. Trying to get that banner up first so you can signal to the house that your work is done. Mm-hmm. And uh, go into town and have yourself a pint at the pub when you're done. All right. Clan N comes to PS4. Clan N is a is is a game about an, a clan of ninjas. And they're all they're, they all think they're hot shit because they're the only... They're the only ninja clan that uh, locked down the N for their name. 
Ah, yeah. So like you, you have to fight. You have to f- f- uh, you have to fight against all these other all these other clans like Clan K, which are like the knights, but they're still ninjas, and they're like really frustrated because yeah, they're not knights, but like they they had no other choice. So you basically <laughs> have to defend your copyright. The whole game. Oh, it's it's, that sounds, it's, it's ninjas defending <laughs> defending their copyright. That took an unexpected turn. I didn't uh, I didn't anticipate that. Yeah. Uh, Escape from Tethys. Uh, comes to PS4. I always call it Tethys, but I think it is Tethys, which is a moon of Saturn. And so this game uh, is about going to Saturn and you have to escape from the moon of Tethys. That's it. That's a very literal name. That's yeah, what it means. no, that's good. <laughs> is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon? Familiar myth, infinite combat yeah. comes to PS4. I uh I don't even know how to improvise this, hmm. but uh, this is uh, a game, presumably a dungeon crawling game, where you you pick you you you, you collect women. I I guess I feel like I've heard this name before. Yeah, we've talked about it when it was announced. It's not as bad as um, how is my little sister this cute or whatever on PSP, <laughs> but it's pretty 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 close. Uh, I'm looking at the Push Square mini review. And it got five out of ten. It says pros easy to get into, can be fun in short bursts, some enjoyable characters, cons, basic and bland in almost every way. Difficulty <laughs> spikes, expensive for what it is. And oh, it just shit. it looks very anime. There's a picture of a girl and a guy sitting on a couch eating I don't know, a cookie. I don't know what's going on in this game. <laughs> All right. Metamorphosis comes to PS4. Metamorphosis is the game you long waited for uh, in your time playing games. It's about a butterfly. A monarch butterfly as it comes from the, you know, goes into the, the pupa stage and the, and then it becomes a butterfly. I think it's a caterpillar at some point in there. I think in, in reverse order. So, again, the game's title is very, very literal metamorphosis. And it, it's a little bit of a scientific romp, which we don't get too many of on PlayStation yeah. 4. Yeah. Metamorphosis. Prehistoric dude <laughs> comes to PlayStation 4. This is a game about a a really uh, a really cool uh, surfer dude who like who's surfing around one day, and then he gets knocked by a wave so hard and so fast that he gets he he gets sent spiraling through time and lands in uh, the Jurassic era, and he has to he has to surf his way uh, across like pools of lava and pools of rogue ocean and and magma to get home. He doesn't though, because you know he's it's it's prehistoric and there's no technology, so the whole game is just a a really deceiving uh, carrot on a stick. I see. Yeah, that's a little disappointing. It's a somber ending. It rivals The Last of Us Part Two, I think. Wow, the way it ends. That's crazy. Yeah. Does it end when the comet hits the Earth and kills everyone? Uh, no. Actually, <laughs> you land immediately as the comet is. Uh, he 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 spawns into the Jurassic. He spawns into the prehistory right when the uh, asteroid is colli- uh, colliding with the planet. Wow. So it's, that that, that's why there's like oceans of uh, magma and of lava magma. and chaos going around that you can it. surf across. The die is cast comes to PS4. So this is a gambling game. Uh, specifically, it's a craps game. It takes place in a fictional Vegas casino. And once you throw those dice, the die is cast. And the dealer will remind you over and over again as he uses you know he uses the little stick to gather the dice on the table you know that re- that nice stick that they use yeah you ever you ever, play, you ever play craps before no i don't actually understand the rules of craps but 
it is a complex game and uh, the Dias cast hopes to teach you the, the rules of it so you can go to Vegas and uh, do a little gambling of your own. The Dias cast. How fun. The Office Quest comes to PS4. This is a, a game you uh, you're on a quest to find your really good ballpoint pen. You know, the pen that you lent to HR that they never gave back to you. But, you know, right. you know, you want it because it's such a specific like it writes so perfectly. It like glides. Across. It almost doesn't make any noise when you write with it somehow. It's like really magical and you, and you really want that pen. So you go through, uh, you know, accounting and. Uh, you know, all these different branches of your office and uh, slay everything that gets in your way so you can get your pen. And it's it's all that's all it's about. You have so, that's quite an attachment you have to the pen. I mean, it's Seems a good like, pen. You ever yeah. you ever write with a pen that's just like really good that like your first your first instinct is like because it's something so menial like a pen. You're like, I could I could steal this, you know, like from, from a bank. Definitely. Then they you ever, you ever go to the places where they they like tape like a cone of paper to the pen oh or like yeah. a flower or something to th- so you don't steal it i'm always really Flassles. offended when they do that with pens that like aren't good you know yeah it's like it's like, it's like you think you think i would steal this what do you come think on. i'm a low life come on i use the uh precise v5 rolling ball extra fine pilot pen and uh, i buy them by the by the bag and i love them yeah they're excellent it's the only pen i use and i'm not being facetious at all that is the only pen i use Thief Simulator comes to PS4. As the name suggests, it's a thief simulator, but it's not that exciting. You're in a suburban neighborhood. It's a little bit working class, middle class. There's maybe not too much of value to steal. You got to really go into people's houses and dig deep. You got to go into their jewelry boxes. You got to get the TV off the wall, maybe steal some old World War II pictures to hold for ransom and sell them back later to them, whatever you have to do. So you're not like it's not a glamorous heist movie where you're going into a bank and going into the, the safe deposit boxes, you're really stealing working people's items, like the very little that they have to survive. And so it's the game is about being a thief, but it's also supposed to teach you a lesson. Do you want to be the thief? Are you ready to be the thief? Is this really what you want to do with your life and all of that? So um, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a psychological thriller as well in that regard. Thief Simulator on PS4. All right, what the hell is this? Uh, <laughs> By the way, the spacing in the games couldn't have been any better. You got all of the good names. <laughs> yeah, I feel great I'm, about I'm, it. I'm, th- I'm thrilled about. So, uh, Tide Tidewag Verniemand. Yeah, I uh, think it's German. Va- I think it's probably Tidewag Verniemand uh, or something like that. Uh, comes to PS4. This is a German adventure game, I assume, <laughs> about being German. It's about a guy who. Uh, does a a 23 and me test he does an ancestry test and he finds like really unsavory things so his his adventure is to, to go to go back in time and rewrite his uh rewrite his family tree so he so he's not related to terrible people and that that's it it means time waits for nobody oh that kind of works yeah and it's an indie abstract adventure game yeah i, I would have no idea yeah i mean it's like a completely separate fucking language if you're going to release your game in the United States or outside of Germany, maybe rename it to Time Waits for Nobody. That's a good name. That is a good name. Sounds like a uh, like a Bond subtitle. Yeah, it does. Time. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. All right. Water Balloon Mania comes to PS4. Who doesn't love playing with water balloons? Especially the ones that are like the grenades. Oh, yeah. You ever use those? So in Water Balloon Mania, you don't get to have any types of fun like that. Instead, <laughs> Water Balloon Mania is about you watching other people have water balloon fights and how you want to join in. But you're in summer school and you got to do homework and your parents grounded you and they hate you. And 
it's a whole mess. I mean, water balloon mania is really a deeper game than it seems. And it's really about longing. It's about FOMO. It's about studying harder so you're not stuck inside. It's about watching your friends play. It's about being grounded. It's about all these things. And it's, it's a pretty deep game. Yeah. Uh, so Water Balloon Mania comes to PS4. All right. Zero Strain comes to PS4. Zero Strain is is a game all about get, getting rid of those strains. You know what a strain is, right? Don't don't you hate them? Get rid of them. We don't need a, we don't need those, especially now with all the strains that are you know that we're trying to shield ourselves from uh, every right, right. every single day. Of course. Yeah. And this is a fantasy game where you live in a world where you could go outside and and shake hands with your fellow man and not fear. Like I did with my neighbor. <laughs> yeah. It's a now I have coronavirus. Role. Great. Yeah, that's on PS4, whatever it is. All right. All right. That's <laughs> that's everything that came out to PS4. No Vita games this week. Yeah, that's sad. And no PSVR as far as I can tell either. All right. Let's get into the uh, listener mail. As always, we end with sw- six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. You can submit them on Patreon by supporting us over there. Patreon.com slash Collins last stand. We do appreciate it. We'll start with Ian Savage, who wrote in and said, hey, beautiful gents. After watching the Godfall gameplay exposition from last week's State of Play, I can't understate how underwhelmed I was as I watched. Aside from the cringy moniker of a looter slasher, how in the hell is this game necessary to be on the PS5? There doesn't appear to be anything special about it, and the only next-gen component seems to be its graphical fidelity. Why is Sony endorsing a game like this, where the market is already flooded with this style of game? Am I just missing the mark and not seeing the appeal? I would love to hear your opinions. Keep making my Fridays bearable so Ian Chris wants to know all about Godfall uh what do you think about this game so far this is a game that is going to be a pretty powerful launch game whether or not it's any good I don't know do you have any thoughts about it it's coming from Counterplay and it's being published by Gearbox of course yeah and it's only going to be on PS5 in addition to PC yeah I don't know I'm, I'm not feeling it at all like it, it looks it looks like it thinks it doesn't look generic but it does you know what I mean like the, the, like they have these trailers that are really like hyped up and it's like look at this fantasy world but like he's going up the same staircase in like every single bit of footage and it's like okay and it's it's there's something really just kind of that looks fine to me I don't see anybody talking about it on social media I don't see anybody like putting it at the top of their lists as far as like things that they're excited to play I don't see you know this isn't like a metric of success but nobody's even like making memes about like there's no there's nothing there there, it, there seems to be like no cultural significance to this game at all and i i don't imagine it's going to do well for any other reason than it's just available at launch i don't yeah. see anything here no i i think you put it beautifully which is that the game has no resonance and, and when you're not even being made fun of like you said in a, in a really active way or being memed or anything it's not a, it's not a great sign I, I do think the game looks incredibly generic it makes me wonder why gearbox even wanted to get involved in publishing this game. I guess they are going to make money. Counterplay is doing it. They actually worked on Destiny 2, as far as I remember. Hmm. Uh, but in going to their website, there's really nothing for anything except for Godfall. So I couldn't even really tell what they might have been pulling from. But it it looks really generic. I just think that, I agree. I think there are a lot of games like this. It doesn't look exciting. I have no interest in playing it. I, I know that there are going to be people that are interested in it. And like you said, I think that it can't be understated that as a launch game, it's going to do pretty well, I think. But Sony is obviously involved in this in some way. It's not coming to Xbox, at least not anytime soon. So maybe we'll be wrong and people will really enjoy it. But I get Anthem vibes uh, hardcore from this game. Yeah. So we'll see. Although people meme on Anthem. So this might even be 
<laughs> yeah. It's might even be worse off than that. Yeah, it's it's forgettable is really the thing. Like, I, f- I forgot about Godfall until it was mentioned in this question, genuinely. Like, it, it's not even... It's not even on my radar. Jude Brandon wrote it and said, what's up, ultimate high school level podcasters? Thank you, Jude. I've been playing SmackDown versus Raw 07 lately. Don't ask why. And there are a lot of bands that I got into because of its licensed soundtrack, like Nonpoint, Three Days Grace. I love both of those bands back in the day. <laughs> I haven't heard that name in so long, Three Days Grace. Yeah, I love Three Days Grace. I saw them open for Breaking Benjamin and... Uh... <laughs> that's the most that's the most 2000 sentence I've ever heard. Yeah, definitely. I think it was like 2004 or something. Do you guys miss the age of more games having licensed songs? And what are some bands you got into because of video games? The the band that always comes to mind for me in this regard is Hot Action Cop, who <laughs> did songs on um, uh, Need for Speed, Hot Pursuit 2 in 2002. I loved them because of that, that uh, they're like a rap rock band. I loved them from that that soundtrack. That, that entire soundtrack was actually awesome because Ultra Spank was on it. The Buzzhorn, there are a few good bands on that, actually. But yeah, uh, do, does any and obviously you have games like Crazy Taxi back in the day. And, yeah. And Tony Hawk's coming out soon again. So we have that. But does anything come to mind? Any songs, any bands that you got into specifically because of you hearing them in a game? Yeah, those exact games. Tony Hawk and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 and, and Crazy Taxi. Crazy Taxi 3 specifically. I think it was cra- Crazy Taxi 3 High Roller. <laughs> <laughs> was what it was called. I remember that because it had the same exact audio cue every time you started it up. But I got really into like breaking, uh, not breaking uh, Benjamin. Oh my God. Bad Religion and and uh, The Offspring and like a lot of Rage Against the Machine from Tony Hawk, obviously. There's a lot of stuff from from games like that. Breaking Benjamin I found through Halo out, actually. Yeah, because um, they did that song for Halo 2, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And it's like, yeah, there, there used to be a lot of like really cool kind of ways that's how i used to find a lot of music back in the day but now i guess spotify is like how that works or just like the internet in general where just kind of music gets like memed into popularity or or uh you know tiktok i think is like the new thing where like music is really kind of seeing a huge boom because of tiktok so yeah you know i i do miss that but you know i I don't know there's there's a time for it and i think it still happens with like grand theft auto and you know, games like that. I think they're always going to have like radio stations or some licensed songs. I know sports games and I know racing games tend to have them a lot. Yeah, I always I always associate them with EA games, specifically the racers. And yeah, I used to play a lot, a lot more racing games when I was a kid. And of course, the sports games. So, yeah, a lot of great stuff. I'm excited for a new generation of kids to be exposed to the Tony Hawk soundtrack, too. <laughs> yeah, it's um, but uh, yeah, shout out Jude to Nonpoint and Three Days Grace. I like both of those bands a lot. Uh, James Gallus wrote in and said, good day, see money and see honey. You decide who is who. I don't think we will. The lockdown is dragging on and I have been working from home full time since March. Without the separation of work and home, I'm finding gaming to not be the escape it once was. I used to get home from work and play an hour or two to escape whatever stress from work came home. These days, my office is my gaming room. Any tips for working and gaming from home? Also, any games you'd recommend to take your mind off the world? Thanks in advance for the help. I'm not going to worry so much about his games to take your mind off things. That's really going to be up to you, James. But Chris, we both work from home and we obviously game from home. Do you have any recommendations for our friend James here about how he might get more pleasure out of that working and gaming in the same space? Yeah. So I think it's important to kind of segment your room or segment your uh, your space accordingly. I I do all my work and all my leisure and pretty much everything in my, in my bedroom. And my bedroom is fortunately like big enough that I, could, I have like I have two desks in it. I have one desk in this little alcove and that's like I, I do paperwork and like emails and like I write at that desk and on my 
other desk where my computer is, I stream and I edit and I do tactile work like that. And then like in the middle of my room, I have like a leisure kind of space where it's, you know, you know, a couch and a TV and that's just for video games. I, I make sure I don't work there. I make sure I don't write there. You know, I, I keep the zones very dedicated to a specific thing. And obviously my bed, I just sleep. And that's it. I don't work in my bed. I don't bring my laptop over to my bed so I could get work done in my bed. I don't do that. And that has helped me like quite a bit just as far as like knowing that like once I'm in a certain position and once I'm in like a certain state seeing looking at a very specific setup, I know exactly the kind of mode that I need to be in. So I would just my only suggestion would be to just mix the zones as little as possible. Ideally, not at all. Yeah, it's good advice. It's good advice. I'm noticing now that I have a house and space to move around in that separating out everything like I don't stay in bed all day anymore like I used to not because I was necessarily depressed although I am but just because like I could do everything in bed yeah so I would just like not leave my bedroom sometimes and it's good so I'm sitting now in my office in my house and then in my master bedroom I just sleep and I watch tv like late at night and downstairs is where I game on in my living room so yeah it's good if you can to keep those spaces separate I totally agree it's good advice and um, also keep in mind, and we, we talk about it all on the show, sometimes games just aren't the answer. Sometimes it's OK. I mean, all the time, it's OK to say that you don't want to play. Maybe you want to read or watch TV shows or something, or maybe you haven't stumbled ac- upon the right game for you at the, at the moment. So don't give up hope. Uh, James Gallus, don't give up hope. Uh, Tim Bob wrote in, but we already talked about this topic. Actually, I forgot that he wrote, wrote in about this, about control. Oh, yeah. The DLC. So are the uh, special editions. So, Tim, we're going to give you credit for that. But we are going to move on to Matthew Urso, who says, hey, Mega Man and Master Chief. I wanted to ask both of you fine gents about the value of ongoing games, specifically as it relates to Overwatch and Overwatch 2. When Overwatch 2 was announced, there was a portion of gamers who seemed to think that this was a cash grab and that Overwatch needed never needed a sequel as it could just have more additional content added to it. While I understand the sentiments behind these ideas, I can't help feeling like this sort of reaction comes from a sense of entitlement. I've been playing Overwatch since it came out in 2016, and four years later, I'm still enjoying it. Even though I'd love it if Blizzard just kept adding to the base game, I understand that my one-time purchase has given me hundreds of hours of playtime and that it would be unfair of me to expect more substantial content after this one-time purchase. This example has me worried about where the industry is headed in some respects. If a Destiny 3 is ever announced, are fans going to harbor the same resentment towards Bungie, even though Destiny 2 gave them years of content? So am I completely off base here or do a large swath of gamers need to realize that it's unfair for them to expect that a single purchase would guarantee a lifetime of new content? Thanks and keep on keeping on. So, Chris, I think this is a great question for you. Yeah. Uh, Since you're more in the space, what do you think about this idea of Overwatch 2 being unnecessary, a so-called Destiny 3, et cetera, maybe even Destiny 2 being an unnecessary game? What do you what do you think? Well, yeah, no, I I agree. I I think I, I think Destiny 2 the only reason a sequel exists to Destiny in the first place is, I think, because Activision wanted a, a, a full-on new refresh. I think they wanted a sequel. I think they wanted a, you know, from the ground up redesign of what Destiny was. Even though, like, people actually really started coming around to Destiny towards the end of its life cycle. And kind of a similar thing happened with Destiny 2, where they kind of went to the drawing board in the beginning and they made it very, very simple, only to just go back to being really, really complicated. And that's the kind of stuff that the people who play Destiny really enjoy. I would say I don't think that attitude comes from a sense of entitlement because I I genuinely do think an Overwatch 2 is unnecessary specifically because and I don't know if maybe this has changed since I heard it but I think the the understanding of what Overwatch 2 was going to be was 
was that they were going to add a campaign, but then the multiplayer would still be playable in the original Overwatch. So you are essentially not getting a new game. You're you're getting story DLC that is being called a sequel to the first game, even though the first game didn't have a story. I don't think anybody's suggesting that like you should be able to that Overwatch should just give you a story campaign for free. I think people would be more than happy to, you know, pay for story DLC for Overwatch. That's a that's a game that's pretty culturally significant that a lot of people enjoy and play. But I think the fact that they're calling it Overwatch 2 is the confusing thing because there wasn't even really an Overwatch 1 as far as story goes. You know what I mean? So Yeah, it's it's over I feel like it seems to me that Blizzard was kind of realizing what Overwatch was as they went. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I just feel like it would it would be wise to not have a two at the end of something unless you absolutely need it. And if they're not going to make a complete refresh or overhaul of the multiplayer to make it its own separate thing, its own distinct thing that separates it from the original Overwatch, I don't see a reason why you would want to confuse the brand recognition of that game and I don't want to see. I, I don't see why you would want to split the skews in such a weird way if they're essentially the same game, but just one has single player content in it. Like I just don't. I don't understand it from a marketing perspective. I don't understand it from a design philosophy perspective. And I just, I, I just fundamentally don't understand the move. And I, I don't think the feeling that oh they should just add it, the the story campaign to the first game. I don't think that's an attitude that comes from entitlement. I think that comes from just basic common sense as to what they're actually doing with this sequel. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think, it, you know, sequels and third games and fourth games and all that are great, depending on if it makes sense within the product you're releasing. But all these persistent games really should just be updated. So so I don't necessarily disagree with this idea that you should expect more out of the products you buy. There is a little bit of a sense of entitlement if you expected it to be free. Yeah. yeah. But as Chris was saying, like the content's not free. I mean, de- and you, he used Destiny 2 as an example, but. Destiny 2 hasn't given you years of content. You paid for Destiny 2 and then you paid for the the expansions. So, yeah, Destiny 2 has consistent like every year there's like a new huge package of content that you pay for. Right, that you pay for. Exactly. So I, I think that it's not entitled to expect that everything would kind of be seamless. And the Overwatch 2 thing, I thought it was weird when they announced it, too. I, I, I don't really understand that either. I guess maybe they want to migrate everything perhaps over to next gen consoles eventually, but that can just be done slowly and methodically with patching. And eventually you just have to force people off whatever they're playing and get them on the new ones, just like phones do with firmware and stuff eventually. Yeah. So there are ways around it. I mean, there's no other way to say it than an Activision and Blizzard want to make more money and they will, but I'll be interested. Overwatch is so vibrant that I'll be interested to see if this actually backfires on them at all. I, I doubt it will, but of course, everything with Overwatch always reduces to me to that Tracer song. Um, you know what I'm talking about? The, <laughs> yeah. That annoying TikTok thing. Yeah, no, I, yes, I do. I do know what kill, you're Maybe want to kill a man. Finally, Josh Games wrote in and said, hey, guys, with Disney recently announcing that they're offering both Mulan and Black Widow as premium rentals through Disney Plus later this year. Do you think there's a possibility that this model finds its way into gaming in the form of digital rentals of new releases, similar to how games like Rainbow Six and Call of Duty offer free weekends occasionally. Thanks in advance, and remember the chickens like some foreplay every now and then. That's too bad, Josh. I don't have time for chicken foreplay. But uh, th- this Disney Plus thing with Mulan, I thought was weird because uh, if I remember correctly, it's Mul- you have to have Disney Plus and then you pay $30 for it, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is, I don't think the price is too high. I don't. I think the having Disney Plus thing is weird. Like, 
why would you make someone have a subscription and then make them pay the same price? Why wouldn't you give it to them as part of the subscription to entice them or just sell it a la carte yeah. without the subscription? I, so I don't want to see this bake being baked into the gaming because I feel like it's just confusing. Why it's, not just do one well, or the other? I, I will say this kind of sales structure is already baked into gaming because this is exactly what Stadia does. <laughs> Ah, Stadia yes. will offer you you have Stadia Pro which you pay for you have you pay to access the games and then you have to buy the games on top of that at full price and it's like what are you doing yeah that's what, weird what the hell is this supposed to be it why what am I paying for then you know it's it's very confusing I, I agree with you like I don't see why you wouldn't just offer it for sale a la carte or offer it as an incentive to sign up for the for the service. I mean that works. Like I I I put money down for Disney Plus when I saw that Hamilton was on it, even just for that month because I was like, oh, I want to see Hamilton. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I mean, even if you wanted to make a good amount of money off of it, you you could say like you get Mulan for free if you sign up for three months or something. That that seems to be a much more enticing thing than people forget that they signed up and you yeah end up making more money. I mean, it took me months to cancel Disney Plus. Yeah. You know, so I'm not I'm not alone in that. Well, I already sure. canceled it, but yeah. Like, yeah. like uh I don't know, it's it's very strange. This this whole um I, I'm still shocked that Stadia thought that that would work. Just the, the thought that yeah, people will pay just to access the servers so that they can buy games that they can't download. It's just just wild. I wish we knew the numbers off of Stadia. They're not good. Don't. You can actually tell. Uh can you? What, yeah, well, because you can you can tell how many people have downloaded the the Stadia app, which is necessary, oh. and it's I think it only just recently broke a million. Wow! So, uh, not good, not ideal. No, not certainly no. not Google numbers. That's not going to put. That's not going to do it. No, a million is not going to do it. And that's not even a million engagements. That's just a million downloads. Yeah. Who the hell knows? I might even much. be like overestimating. I think because uh, when I checked it, it was like a couple hundred k. So it wasn't wasn't ideal. Well, I'll have you know, Chris, that on Twitter right now, uh, the term golden showers is streaming or I'm, I'm sorry, trending. Oh, good. So uh, let's click on that here. <laughs> See what it says here. Oh. Oh, dear. That's exactly what All right. Well, that's all we have for this episode. That will be the cold ending of the show. Uh, hope you guys are all doing well out there. Thank you so much for your love and your kindness and support. Slow week. We're ramping back up. I think we'll have PS5 news anytime now. Yeah, any day uh, now. Any day now. Uh, Chris, thank you for your time. Appreciate you. Yeah, no worries, man. Thank you all out there for your loving kindness and, our, and your support of our show. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Until then, goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom.
Avery Lewandowski, an unofficial controller podcast, Andrew Morgan, Gregory Slavinsky, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Zach Parsley, Jerome Ferreira, John, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Ben, Azan, Toothless Gibbon, Isaac Wasteman, Michael Vecchio, Joey Finelli, SL the FMA, Ryan T. Mandel, Jorge Palomino, Paul Joyce, Enrique Perez, Don Lee, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Homeworld Hub, Nelson LeBlanc, Daniel Johnson, Sticks and Crits, Alan Abraham, Zach Bonham, Jay Getter, Vexius, Bjorn Campbell, Greg Lotta, Galja, Todd Paxton, Darren Gardner of Fortuna, Boots, Megadet, Kevin Komaki, Saul Balcazar, Raul Melendez, Robbie Hensley, Daniel Margaka, Bloody Fang, Eric Harden, Matt Martin, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Spencer Brand, TB Lightning, Antti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Travis Plymel, Chris Galvin, Ryan Murdoch, Jesse Owens, Mason Cadillac, Scott Lovelace, Chris Buston, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Michael S., Joshua Smallwood, Damon Weathers, Cody Bradbury, Carl Tolman, Richter86, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Donnie Nolan, Patrick Harper, Gerald Pennington, Greg Julefs, Blake Israel, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Connor Gashian, Lawrence F. Prokop, Organic Produce, James Kinslow III, Tyler Bellow, Mubarak, Alan Tremblay, McDog18, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Marius Carson Peterson, Ray Laja, Throw7, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gamer Filmaholic, Ahmad Tamar, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Josh Bushing, Dylan Burns, Betty Ann Moriarty, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton Kay, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, William O'Carroll, Phil Crone, Mike Wayne, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Gio Corsi, Justin Wagaman, Jason Pettit, Chad Lewis, Jeff Pollard, Shane Rayum, John Cordero, Mark Boggio, Keith A. Lewis, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Toby Schutman, Eric Bateman, Mad Mock Media, Josh M., and Jonathan Rice. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.